Hey Tony, I like this new hairstyle you got going on. Oh yeah, here. the long locks are gone. The long locks are gone. It's funny. The what guy, is this? I Can I see it? Can I see the back? Actually, can you turn around oh, a little bit? Oh. Okay. I like it. I like it. So like, uh, I went with the guy. Oh, uh, I went with um, like a hairdresser, and he's like, "Can you know how I was shaving my own up here and here myself?" Oh, you were doing that. Yourself? Yeah, yeah. And he was oh, sort of okay. saying like, "You've gone too high." Like you, you, oh, you kind right. of messed it up. So he's like, "There's not a lot I can do with this." So, like, he's gonna make it short like this, and then he'll say, "He said like, let it go, like do nothing for about two, three weeks, and then he can maybe make it not look shit." It's dope. I like it. Oh yeah, nice. Okay, yeah, you suit it. <laughs> look at this. You're like one of those uh, Asians supermodel singers or whatever. You know, I actually hate that well, part. Yeah. Like, it, it it does like sort of default to like a Korean like sort of mid part, which I think <laughs> doesn't look good on me. That mid part right there reminds you of a uh, '90s boy bands. Yeah, like I feel like I get like, like Nick Carter vibes. <laughs> um, so I kind of like, that was so popular back then, eh? Like the early 2000s with the uh, mid part and then the undercut. I think it's back now, though. I think it's back too. Yeah. Actually, like one of my mates, Joey. Uh, shout out to Joey and his uh, uh, movie nerd f girlfriend. Uh, fiance, girlfriend. Oops, I forgot. Girlfriend. Let's just say girlfriend. Yeah. Angie. Shout so out to the partner. That's the safest way. Hmm. True. Partner. 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 Um, but anyway, Joey has this like that classic Nick Carter look. Oh yeah. Matchy boys. Yeah. yeah. Like for a long time, or getting it just like now that it's back. Uh, I mean, look, I've only met them recently because they're from the states. They're from Tampa, Florida. Oh. They're just here for like you know ex experiencing Australia, working holiday. And traveling around so i showed them around the city and stuff and we've seen a couple of movies together because they're big movie movie fans especially angie his girlfriend his partner mm. <laughs> she's a huge movie fan so we've seen a few movies together like your style of movie fan where like she knows like the uh ins and outs and talking about cinematography and likes like deep mm. like deep storylines and stuff or is it just um perhaps we haven't actually spoken too much in depth about it mm. but um she's she's very very passionate about movies she loves seeing them yeah. loves the cinema experience and everything nice. but yeah anyway joey's got that part like i, I look at him and i'm like man you actually look like you, you could have been in backstreet boys <laughs> <laughs> uh, i actually wanted to mention to him on like uh, the other night when we went out for a drink but i totally forgot about it oh well hopefully he listens to this he, he hears what you meant to say mm-hmm test of time oh damn you, you're cracking one out crack one out i'm uh about to uh discover a brand new beer uh listener you can't see this but um actually i might show this on instagram story when i edit the reels but this is a brand new beer called saint bernardus 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 so not <laughs> i said not bernard no nah, not bernard but it's Ber bernardus like d-u-s oh okay damn yeah what is it though like um, what, what type of beer is it so this is supposed to be um actually forgot what they told me <laughs> well, yeah, it should be on the bottle right like dark something something well, it, it says it's an abbey ale but that's not what they said they said it's like the style of beer is like uh maybe an amber ale i think that's what they said yeah right abbey um, just sounds like they, they they're sort of getting the church in there yeah just a bit of, <laughs> bit of comedic wordplay. Oh, no, no, no. Now I remember. Now that I'm pouring it, it's a uh, dark ale. Look at that. Oh, damn. Wow. 
Damn. It's pouring really nice as well. But uh, you, you remember that beer that I raved on about when we were recording? I can't remember which episode. It might have been like uh, Rings of Power. Um, and <laughs> I think it was Rings of Power. And I popped open a beer and I was talking about how like this would be the first time I'd try a Belgian beer because I've always kind of um, – disregarded Belgium sort of old school brewing because Why? I'm so, I'm so into like craft beer, right? Oh, okay. You know, I'm, I'm all for this whole like uh, craft beer contemporary movement. And do you remember this? I think I recall you talking about beers once. Yeah. But I mean, the details yeah. of it are definitely lost on me. Like I, I, I cracked it open and then you were talking and then, uh, and then I interrupted by going, Oh my God. Cause I was just reacting to how good the beer right. was. Yeah. You remember? Yeah. You were very impressed so, by it. Really impressed, really impressed. And so that was one Belgian beer company, and this is my second Belgian beer company that I'm trying. So you're getting this from um, what's that place called? The one on on Oak Barrel. yeah, yeah, mm. Oak Barrel. Shout out dope. to the Oaks. Shout out to Oak Barrel. Actually, good shout out to Oak Barrel because they actually um, did a shout out to me. Um, oh, really? When I went in and spoke to them about the beer, that Belgian beer. Um, told them about the podcast and said I sort of <laughs> I mentioned on the podcast because I was just so blown away by how good it was um they posted oh they took a photo of me inside the shop and they posted it on Instagram oh damn and yeah and tagged uh, legit cool podcast. I want to look at this all right I'll do it while you while you move on to the <clears throat> let me try this beer first hold on oh crap I've got found random Instagram oh my god this is this is Oh man. Better than the first one that made you go crazy? Listener. Hmm. <laughs> this is some damn good beer. Oh man, I'm just so I, I'm just so kinda like um I'm I'm down at the fact that I haven't I didn't give it any attention or any kind of respect earlier on in my sort of beer drinking discovery. Because I was never really a beer drinker. I hated the taste, right? Oh really? Well, wait, wait, how long ago was this? I think I got into beer. Hmm. When did I get into beer? I can't remember. Like it's very recent, you know. It's, um, I, I want to say twenty-five, maybe. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So like ten years ago or something like that. Um. So yeah, I don't know, somewhere there. But it, b- drinking beer or drinking alcohol in general wasn't really a thing for me growing up at all. Like I just never got into it. Like eighteen. And I think it was. Yeah, I think it was just because I didn't like the taste of alcohol. Yeah, right. But it's just one of those typical things where once you try a good quality version of anything, you'll love it, right? Like you'll you'll be a convert. You'll um, you'll sort of discover and be like, oh my god, like this is this is it. I'm glad that I tried you a good quality of version. Anything though, like a high quality. Well, version. I mean, <laughs> look, <laughs> there are, there are examples this, I would imagine. Yeah, of course, of course. This this is an exception to the rule. Like it's. What I'm saying is, like, you know, um, beer is an example. Tomatoes, for example. I never liked tomatoes, but then I had some awesome, quote-unquote, like, heirloom tomatoes, like green tomatoes, a little bit of salt, a little bit of olive oil, and, man, they're amazing. Just fresh, right? Like, just you just, like, <laughs> just fresh. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? So, like, um, um, because of my discovery with beer and all that kind of stuff, and also – trying out a lot of different food spots back in Wellington, um, really exploring what the culinary industry is. And I have this like different sense of appreciation and respect for food and beverage. Um, I, I, you know, that was kind of my introduction to hospitality um, 
before I became a barista, you know? So, so it's still cool that you're in that industry. I think it's a cool cool thing to be a part of. Mm. I think so, yeah. Because I, I really love the hospitality industry. I think It's rough, though, man. Do you hear about uh, Mr. Crackle? Mm. I heard they closed down. Yeah, man, just randomly. But I don't know the reason for it. Ah, I just COVID, no, 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 like, apparently it was too expensive to keep going. I was depressed, man. Like, I, I don't, well, I'm going to say I'm depressed. But, like, I kind of wish they did, like, a Frankie style, like, we're closing down in a month's time. And then, like, you know, they just get a whole bunch of people coming in, having one last thing, and then, mm. and then going, right? Did you hit Frankie's uh, when they closed down? I tried, like, three times. But, like, it was too busy. Or... Yeah, it was, like, just lines, like, like meet like 30 40 meters out the door and i just i don't have time for that like you know good memories thank you frankies but i'll, I'll let someone else you know try one of your pieces it's, it's not that good it's not that good that you want to wait I, 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 I can't think of anything that i would wait like that long for mm. like there's not much i would wait that long for you know like i used to I used to like wait in line to get into the movie theater for midnight screenings. Yeah, but like you're not. I feel like waiting in line for a, a midnight screening is more just you're just waiting for logistics, right? Like, like they're just cleaning it up, they're opening the door. You've got your seat. You're not- no, no, no. That was back. Um, that was back when um, I went to reading. Reading cinemas was kind of like the main cinema to go to in Wellington. Yeah, and they had um, unassigned seats, so it was free for all. Oh shit! Yeah, I'd, I'd hate that. I wouldn't do that. Yeah, no matter how early in advance you buy your tickets, like you just have to be there physically to get a good seat. <laughs> yeah, that would kill me. I can't. Like, yeah, no, I can't yeah. do that. Like the idea that you have to sort of wait in line and you don't know what's going to happen. Like, are people going to leave and are going to get a spot? You know, you get like mm-hmm. a guy with a clicker. Like this is different. I'm talking about the Frankie situation, but like the idea that you're there and there's no definite time when it's going to happen. That would that would kill yeah. me. The same as, like, the cinema where you're getting there, like, what, how, how early? Three, four hours early or something? Or, like, two hours? Yeah, we used to go, like, yeah, two hours or something earlier. Yeah. That, that, that. And these are midnight screenings, right? Like, you don't want to show up a uh, couple of minutes before the showing, like, five, ten minutes or something before the showing. You don't want to show up then to just think, oh, okay, I'm, I'm here for a midnight screening. I'm just going to, like, sit anywhere. But it's, like, it's never going to happen. So, obviously, we were there for as long as we could. Are you one of those people that, like, if you're off to the side, right? You yeah. just like it's not an enjoyable experience. Like you just, I hate it. Yeah, hate right. It. Okay. I never sit on the side, man. I I would. Uh, there's there's some exceptions to sitting on the side of the cinema, and maybe those exceptions will be down to I really, really, really want to watch this film. Let's say it's like a big Marvel film. Really want to watch it, and I had no time or way of getting those tickets earlier enough, and I'll just I'll just cop it. I'll sit on the side. Because I'm, I'm. It's more important for me to see it ASAP than where I'm sitting. Is that you know? what happened with Guardians of the Galaxy Three? The title of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Actually, like Jim got us tickets to the preview screening. There was uh, six of us. Damn. Okay. Cool. Mm, mm, six of How's us. How's that experience? Was that like the whole uh, clapping and blah 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 that happens in those midnight screenings? The, well, no, this wasn't a midnight screenings. Midnight screenings are a dime a dozen now. You know, they don't really exist anymore. They, they're they doing day before release screenings. It's always a thing now. Um, don't know why. I, I don't understand why they just not, like, just release it. Whenever you whenever you say you want to release it, just that's when you're gonna. That's kind of what they've done, though, right? Like, isn't it actually more fun for you, though, as a fan, to actually have that midnight screening where it's like, this is the one 
that mm-hmm. everyone who's a hardcore wants to go to. Yeah, because that's the first screening for that open day, right? But um, for the last, like, five or so years, um, whether it's Marvel or the cinema, the, like, the distributor, I'm not sure it is, they just allow the cinemas to do this quote-unquote preview screening, which is, and it's a lot of sessions the day before release. I don't understand the the logic behind that. It's like, why don't you just say we're going to release it on that day that, you, that you're calling it the preview day? Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to do the same amount of sessions on the other day. So if it's one exclusive session, then that makes sense because then there's exclusivity, right? Uh, like you can... If there's exclusivity, it's going to sell us super quick. So then you'll be that special crowd that gets to see it before everyone else. But so then you have the midnight on Wednesday, Wednesday morning. Yeah, Which... it's uh, no, no, no. It's not. It's not even a midnight. Like these, these screenings are like regular time. You know. So yeah, there's not like one that like uh, everyone's clamoring to get into. Nope. I find nope. that there's, an odd thing. There's a 4 p.m. screening. There's a 6 p.m. screening. 8 p.m. Like in the world of like you know like sneaker releases where there's like sort of forced exclusivity, the idea mm-hmm. that that cinemas are like saying yeah yeah we have that right now and we don't want it anymore like that seems odd to me. It's so weird. Like just release it. Just say that you're releasing it on that day. Like what's the point in saying? But even screening? then, like the idea of killing the midnight screening, like having like this this sort of defined single screening that is the first one in the country or whatever. Yeah, that, but some, that's what makes it special. That's how you get... Well, Wait, when did they kill those? Like, was it this film or has it been a while? Well, like, they haven't really killed midnight screenings. They're, they're, they're still doing them, but it's very rare. The, the last midnight screening I went to was probably Spider-Man, No Way Home. Yeah, you mentioned um, that. You mentioned that, like... Um, yeah, and that was huge. That was huge. There was a lot of screening for that midnight screening, right? Yeah, there's so many stories about how, like, you know, people... Uh, I mean, spoilers for that film. When you first see the first dimensional Spider-Man, everyone's like, whoa, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Everyone lost it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure I led the charge in, like, yelling, screaming. You've done a couple of, like, attempted yells in, in movies that we're watching, and, and, like, no one's picking you up with that. Like, no, you're just left out dangling. Yeah. It's Bloody chumps. You have no idea. Yeah, but I ain't gonna... You're not a true fan. No, I'm not. I'm gonna be, like, on the record. Marvel films, not a true fan. This is my opinion. Oh, that's a good start for this review, then. Um... Welcome to the listener, because you know, we always like either don't say welcome to the listener or we just forget completely, which most times we forget to welcome the listener. <laughs> so I think you get better at that this time. Yeah, I know. We're like 14 minutes or 15 minutes into the podcast, and we haven't welcomed the listener. Welcome to Logical Podcast, where we review, recap, and break down everything in movies and TV series. If it's your first time, Welcome to the podcast, and if you're a regular listener, thank you for coming back. Uh, no first time I would have gone this far. You reckon? <laughs> Come on, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure Nathan's like listening to all of them. He's my first time <laughs> listener, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true, true. Someone is. I don't know. Um, yeah, and thank you for continuing to show your support. We are reviewing and recapping Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. The finished polished uh bookend to a very very big franchise and probably one of marvel's most successful franchises i'd, I'd imagine both critically and financially um yeah and we're going to review and recap the entire uh film tony you saw it y- yesterday yesterday night yeah because you forced me to I thought you nah, to be fair like i don't know if we're jumping ahead of it, but I, I thought it was good i enjoyed it had a good time 
jumping ahead. Yeah. <laughs> no, but for real, like, it was, it was like, because like sometimes um, when you get me to watch things, I'm mm-hmm. I won't say mad at you, but I'm just like, oh man, that that wasn't a good use of time. Ant Man Three <laughs> was one of those times. Honestly, Black Panther Two, I walked away from that thinking like, ah, uh, you know what? It's like uh, I'm happy that they said farewell to Chadwick in in a nice way, but I didn't mm-hmm. think it was an objectively good film. Yep. This one, no, pleasantly surprised. Good, good. It's going to be a pleasantly surprised review and recap then. Um, what did you think of Volume 1 and 2? Just real quick. Yeah, so it's kind of funny. I really liked Volume 1, and I really didn't like Volume 2. Um, mm. But I didn't like Volume 1 as much as everyone else did. Oh. So, like, everyone, like, In what sense? Like, what, what do you think uh, the differential was? Oh, they just all, like, loved it. You know what I mean? Like... Hmm. I think I think like when it came out, people weren't really expecting big things because they were like a kind of. I, I, this is just me trying to sort of play back my understanding of history here. Like they weren't like one of those popular um, comic book characters, so I think people didn't expect a lot or something. But then they were pleasantly surprised, yeah. and they thought it was really really fun. I thought it was hmm. fun. Like don't get me wrong, but um, I expect a lot from origin stories, and I felt like this one was kind of. You didn't really get a sense of a lot of the characters. It's just sort of like, we are here now. Um, mm. The comedy, I, I love. I, I do like that Marvel does a pretty damn good job on introducing comedy into these kind of action films. Like, they're kind of the kings of that. Mm. Um, but yeah, no. Really good. Um, I didn't like it as much as Iron Man 1. And a lot of people liked it more than Iron Man 1. That's kind of my sort of barometer mm. here. Oh, your barometer's Iron Man 1. Well, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, it's what kicked it off. That's what started the whole MCU. Oh, it's not even about like um, you know what it means to the universe. I just think it's like a, just a better film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'd probably agree with that as well. But I like most people that love Guardians Volume One would probably say that it's better than Iron Man, the first one. Exactly. Yeah, I think so. I think people really, really love that film. It's good. I just didn't like it as much as everyone else. I don't think. Mm. I'm probably with you on that as well. I really love Volume One. Don't love it as much as. I am in the first film. Mm. Um, <clears throat> the first time that Marvel introduced some really solid comedy to the MCU, which was great. Sort of a lot of dialogue comedy, which I think Marvel doesn't do particularly mm. well. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, a lot of dialogue comedy and just good choice of actors, I think. The casting were great. Yeah, that's not true. Mm. That's true. Groot. And that was probably the first really time good. that we'd seen <laughs> Groot. Vin Diesel. Yeah, does a great job with Groot. I wonder how that conversation would have went down. They would. With, uh, when Vin Diesel was asked, like, hey, we want you to play this animated character as the <laughs> voice, and you have three lines or three words. But you're saying them often with different inflection. <laughs> He's probably thinking that, like, oh, man, this is a challenge. And he can you imagine what that, that conosation would be? Yeah, I can. I mean, like, cause he's like one of those like quintessential character actors. No, okay, I'm lying now. <laughs> I'm just gonna say like he's like one of those character actors. He sees this as a great challenge. Kevin Feige's like, hey, then loved you, Fast and Furious. It's all about family, man. It's all about family, <laughs> and we want you to be a part of a galactic family. Yeah, the Guardians of the Galaxy. And he's kind of like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's that sounds good. That sounds good. But we want you to say three words. <laughs> I am Groot. And he's probably thinking, three words, what is it? I love you? <laughs> no, it's even better than I love you. I am Groot. I do enjoy <laughs> the whole, like, Chewbacca-esque nature of Groot. He must have been paid so much just to be a voice that says three words. You're right. 
I, I don't know. I don't think it's being paid a ton. I think it's being paid who's, a lot. Who's, who's, what who's it is. yes to that gig? Who says yes to that gig? You're, you're, just being, you're not even seen. You know, you're. I mean, I'm pretty yeah. sure he's. Um, I don't even know if he's doing mocap. Or maybe he is doing a mocap. I don't know. I don't but, know the um, tree doesn't really have much uh, facial expressions, right? So maybe not. No, yeah. So maybe no mocap at all. Yeah. So it's like he's just doing ADR, I suppose. <laughs> I reckon he's getting paid a reasonable amount for what he's doing, but not like a ridiculous amount. Yeah, he's probably like, man, can't get it. I've been struggling to get a gig after Fast and Furious franchise. <laughs> there is no after. Actually, there is no after. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no way he's struggling though. Freaking the Fast and Furious franchise does so well, man. They make billions of dollars. Yeah, man. It's like they're the uh, the new era of just dumb action movies, and I think everyone wants it. If you were, if you were to say to me. Like twenty years ago, that Fast and Furious, one of the sequels or whatever, is going to break a billion dollars at the box office mm-hmm. and be top ten, yeah, uh, grossing films of all time. I'd be like, nah, no way. I was actually, yeah, <laughs> like the idea that Fast and the Furious became like the action movie series of like, I don't know what twenty first with this generation is incredible because like number one is like it's purely a car movie, right? Like, if they're talking about, like, oh, nos, nos. Like, they're just talking about car shit constantly. And then, like, yeah. from four onwards, they just don't give a shit about cars anymore. They're just a vehicle for things to blow up, and it's great. I actually yeah. love that shift. Yeah, I mean, the cars are, are, what do you call it, a embodiment of the metaphor of, like, you know, using this as a vehicle to tell a story. Yeah. Like, that's great. what the cars are literally are. Um, but, man, oh, I love that first film. Really? I really love that first film. Yeah, oh, no, man. Like, I, I'm not with you on that. I, it's not a bad film. It's not, not objectively a bad film. I think it's great. Man, if, 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 there's, if there's any such thing as, like, a great street racing film, it's Fast and Furious. In that specific genre that you mentioned, <laughs> yeah, I would say so. <laughs> but, but who else are they competing against? Like, no one. <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised that there isn't other movie studios that wanted to capitalize on this um, incredible... Uh, niche. I don't know that. Like, when they switch from pure car racing to other stuff, doesn't mm. the the growth like ten x? Yeah, it does. I mean, but the first film was highly successful, man, and that was at the height of like boy racing, right? Um, they yeah, the whole like, Need for Speed culture. happened then. Yeah, that's right. I wonder if Need for Speed like... caused it, or if Fast and the Furious caused it. I don't know who caused it. No, I think it's pretty raw. Like it's from the streets, you know. <laughs> no, but someone finds out. Some, some, some suit finds out, right? How do they find out? I don't know. I have no idea. Anyway, anyway, um, we should talk about Guardians of Galaxy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> volume three. I, feel bad hey, for I, this I actually just yeah, I know. I feel bad for you. Sorry, sorry. I know you're kicking in. You know you're 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 hanging in there. You're now going to listen to our awesome analysis of whether the film was good or whether it was bad or whether it was average um, through our recap. But before we get into the recap, I just want to do a quick shout-out to JC, our um, regular legit talker on here. He, he couldn't actually make the podcast today. He actually wanted to oh, – well, I actually don't even know if he wanted to. But <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, I asked him if he would like to uh, review the episode with us. Uh, but he couldn't. He's uh, busy working today. But he sent in uh, his l- brief review. Oh, yeah, cool. Um, in written format. So I'm just going to read it right Let's here. Let's hear it. Uh, 
I was going to do a JC voice, but uh, maybe I'm not. I'll just do my regular voice. <laughs> um, okay, so this is from JC, our reg- regular uh, reviewer. Overall, a great trilogy representing outcasts assembling together to fight a greater good, somewhat akin to DC's Doom Patrol, Patrol uh, but on a different level. That's some like deep-seated nerdy stuff right there. Doom, uh, DC's Doom Patrol. I know the Doom Patrol. I don't know if you do, Tony, but... Never heard of these guys in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The story, whilst highly emotional, often suffered from flat jokes, dragged out segments, and pacing issues. Gun represents the trilogy overall very well, taking care into each character's arc and transformation. Then we get into some bullet points here. Uh, Rocket going from heartless money-driven mercenary to literally meeting his maker and becoming a people-driven leader. Drax going from a destroyer to da- uh, to dancer. <laughs> That's true. Star-Lord slash, uh, slash Mantis? Okay, Star-Lord and Mantis going off to search yeah, that's true. their own needs rather than running and serving others. Yeah, that is true. Uh, Gamora given the alternative to a family where she is appreciated and celebrated versus tortured and manipulated. Craglin from being second-guessing yes-man to a level of confidence of his own. I suppose Adam Warlock was underutilized in this iteration, only to be safe for higher use later. Dot, 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 Adam dot, Warlock? But when. Oh, is he the, 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 the golden dude? Yeah, yeah. He's the guy that that's pretty much sets up the story, right? Oh, I've, okay. Hmm. Um, MCU suffers the aftermath of having a big threat as detailed as Thanos. It seems like all other small fry seem not as entertaining and simplistic, though High Evolutionary's arc was not bad. It's just been done before. One to improve society by creating a superior race, wipe out ones that don't meet the standard. That is from JC Lucas. Um, yeah, nice. Nice, nice. So I'm just going to quickly go through the movie information, and we're going to get into some first impressions, and then get straight into the recap. All right. So Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, directed by James Gunn, also written only by James Gunn. Guy's a talent, man. So, written so well. Talent. It's a yeah, it's, it's a well written film, in my opinion. Mm. Um. Uh, I'm just going to go through the list of actors. So no surprise here. Chris Pratt playing Peter Quill again. I cannot pronounce his name, but I'm going to try. Chuck Woody. Uwiji. Uh, Uwiji. Who plays the, high, <laughs> plays the high evolutionary. Bradley Cooper plays Rocket. as uh, the voice of Rocket. Pom Clementif plays Mantis. Dave Bautista playing Drax. Karen Gillian. Uh, Gillian playing Nebula. Vin Diesel playing Groot. Uh, the voice of Groot, Austin Freeman, who is the onset Groot, and I think he was the child Austin Freeman. I think um, Stephen Blackheart playing Steamy uh, Blue Liver, Terence Rosemore playing Zolmum Smith. Kind of remember who that. Who are these people? Yeah, <laughs> I, it's probably you know one of the workers of the higher evolutionary. Um, Maria Baklova plays Cosmo. Sean Gunn plays Craglin. Uh, Siri, uh, Siri. <laughs> Sarah Alami plays Salami. Also, do not know who that person who is. is. That I don't know. That okay, well, these last like four names are no. Be- I <clears throat> don't want to say that, but <laughs> I don't know who they are. Yeah, Jasmine Munoz plays uh, Hoopto. 
Giovanni Cruz plays Orlotti Pedler, and Will Poulter plays Adam Warlock. Nick Santos plays Recorder Theo. I, I like Nick Santos as well. I know him from a series that I really enjoy, a sitcom series. Is it a sitcom? Yeah, a comedy series called Superstore that was on Netflix. Oh, yeah. Uh, Superstore. I, I've, I saw an episode. Yeah, remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you remember Nick Santos? He was. Nah, he was I saw like one episode, so oh, I give up on okay. things very quickly. Oh, right. Yeah, he's one of the actors in that. Um, yeah, so with a runtime of, uh, it's actually not one hour and 52. Yeah, sorry, yeah, that was from the previous like two and a half. It was uh, two and a half hours, actually, the runtime. Uh, with a budget of $250 million, its current box office intake, which was only, it's only been out for two days, and it's already done $83.2 million worldwide. Released on May the 4th, which is quite fitting, because, you know, May the 4th, be with you, Star Wars. Is it related at all to that, though? It's it's related through inspiration. So James Gunn actually is, he became a filmmaker because he saw Star Wars when he was a kid in the cinema, and he's always wanted to do a space opera, and he had this opportunity to do it when Marvel came to him and said, hey, would you like to do Guardians of the Galaxy? And he knows the comic. Um, and so he was very, very inspired by doing Star Wars. Um, by doing Star Wars. He was very inspired by Star Wars, and he really wanted to do something that wasn't like a copycat of Star Wars, but it kind of it reminded him of his childhood. So you could say that actually the whole Guardians of the Galaxy trilogy is some kind, some kind of memoir, I suppose, you know, for him because uh he was just so inspired just like um all the other thousands of kids that were inspired by um star wars when they first saw it in the cinema um so it's quite fitting that the release day for this was may the 4th and i i don't i think it was just coincidental i don't think they intentionally wanted to do <laughs> may the 4th release for volume 3 um so that's quite nice um the current as it stands today run Rotten Tomatoes score is 81% from the critics and it's 95 from the audience. Pretty high. I'm actually quite surprised of the low critic score, mainly just because, like, I understand, like, you know, Rotten Tomatoes is, like, you're either negative or positive. So there's, like, 20% of critics who are, like, thinking this was a, a bad film. That's, that's surprising to me. Mm, but it would be 20% of a certain amount of critics, you know. Yeah, yeah, I know, but like, still, like, to mark this not fresh is, uh, I don't know. That's fresh. Fresh is above 50. You know, but like, isn't it coming, like, that gets, uh, you get the score because a certain number of critics have marked it not fresh, right? Mm hmm. Yeah. Have given yeah, it the green splat rather than the tomato. Mm hmm. Yeah. 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 81% is pretty high, though. Oh, it is high. It is high. I just. Sometimes I feel like um, non-offensive films you get like 100% every time. I'm like, oh, yeah, mm. that doesn't happen. Ah, yes, true, true, true. The critic consensus here is a galactic group hug that might squeeze a little too tight on the heartstrings. The final Guardians of the Galaxy is a loving last hooray for the MCU's most ragtag family. Um, yeah, nothing really to say much about that consensus from the critics the audience consensus hasn't been released yet just because I, I think there's not enough uh audience reviews yet with some of that audience ratings um and then uh just quickly on the plot of guardians of galaxy volume 3 in marvel studios guardians of galaxy volume 3 our beloved band of misfits are looking a bit different these days peter quill still reeling from the loss of gamora must rally his team around him to defend the universe along with protecting one of their own a mission that, 
if not completed successfully, could quite possibly lead to the end of the Guardians as we know it. Well, as mm. we know them, not know it, but same thing, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, first impressions. I feel like you should go first because I'm the non fan. Yeah. You're the non fan. You're pretty excited after seeing it. Uh, um, I wouldn't say excited. Nah, I mean, look, I was, I was pleasantly surprised. <laughs> um, yeah, look, look, overall, I had a good time with this. And, like, oh, this is going to make me. Th- like, you've made me watch uh, Black Panther 2. You've made me watch Ant Man 3. And I've kind of had, like, sort of reasonable to okay times with those movies. So I wasn't really expecting a lot here. Um, I did like the emotional punchiness of this film. It is like a pretty heart-wrenching film. Maybe they go overboard with it, like the idea that like it's a group hug that's did too tight. Cry? Did you cry? No, I didn't cry. I struggle um, crying in films for some reason. It depends on the film. But Dude, you cried in goal, man. How did you not cry in Guardians? Oh, because the dad finally saw his kid <laughs> playing soccer, living his dream. Uh, okay, when something beautiful happens, I'm more prone to crying than when something sad happens. I'll say that. Oh, I'm, okay. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah, if something's, like, beautiful, that, that sort of hits me more than, than sad things. This film, mm. like, has a lot of, like, very cute animals who are innocent getting burnt and shot in the head. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's a very emotional film. And then you see, like, think Okay, I don't know how much I want to go into it before the recap. But, yeah, it's a very emotional film. And I think it's, like, that's quite good. The first two aren't. I think it blends the comedy and the emotional pretty well. I, um, it's kind of funny. It's hard not to compare it to Thor 4, and that works in its favor. Why would you compare it to Thor 4? Uh, it's, again, Thor 4 is, like, a very dialogue, comedy-heavy film, and this one is too, and I felt like this one does it better. Like, the interplay between the characters is, is more entertaining because, I guess, like, as, as a fan of the series, if you are... But me, not even as much of a fan of the series. Like, you understand the role of each of the characters. So they play their parts quite well in a lot of the comedic um, well, interplays between them. You know what I mean? Like, Drax does Drax mm. stuff, and Drax is funny. Um, I know Mantis does a lot of, like, physical comedy, and it kind of got a laugh from me. Like, when she's floating in space, like, all weird, it's kind of funny. She's, like, clumsy. Yeah, she's clumsy and stuff like that. Um, but I guess, yeah. So I like the comedy. I like the emotional punchiness of the film. I thought the soundtrack was fantastic. I think the soundtrack is always great in these movies. I don't know why it's exclusively the Guardians films. But, you know, you've got, you've got Radiohead, you've got, like, Flaming Lips. Like, I love the soundtrack of this movie. Um, and I enjoyed... It, there wasn't actually that much action. And mm. I like that because I feel like sometimes Marvel action gets a bit droning for me. Like, I generally, you know, nothing's going to really happen. So it just kind of, like, when it goes for a really long time, it gets annoying. This one, like, there's a lot of interplays of dialogue in amongst the action, which I enjoyed a lot. So, yeah, I don't want to go too hard on this. Low lights. Um, hmm. I actually don't know. I haven't actually thought about it a whole lot, to be honest. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that there aren't any low lights. I think they'll come up as we do the recap. I'll try not to go too hard in the, oh, this doesn't make sense, because, you know, it's not that kind of film. Um, I feel like there's, like, a lot of characters. Like, a lot of supplementary characters and some people that probably weren't that necessary to the whole story being told. I did love the fact that this was, like, a rocket story, because he was the one I was kind of most curious about the entire series. He doesn't get much mm. exposition, and his story seems very interesting, which actually turned out to be... Um, performances and direction, you know, 
they're good. <laughs> what do you think? They're good. They're good. Uh, okay, great. For me, the key highlights would be, uh, yeah, the soundtrack. That's only because you mentioned the soundtrack just now, so it's right at the tip of my tongue. So I'm like, yeah, the soundtrack. Great. <laughs> the soundtrack is good. I actually think I like the soundtrack in Volume 1 more, though. I think it's more just the choice of music. I think I enjoyed the, the music a little bit more because it goes 80s. Does it go 70s, 80s, 90s? I think that's how it goes. So mixtape volume one it's like is 70s, 70s. I think it's any 90s, right? Well, I think volume three is 90s, isn't it? Yeah, Radiohead and all that kind of stuff. Flaming Lips is 90s or yeah. 2000s. Yeah, I think I think it goes in that order. I'm pretty sure volume one is mix uh, sorry mixtape volume one is 70s and then 80s and mixtape volume two yeah and then three is yeah that yeah and to ask to answer your or respond to your uh comment about uh you don't know why the soundtrack isn't uh is, is exclusively guardians it's because it's the whole it's part of his character peter cool's character right he got hold of that mixtape like that mixtape was given to him when he was a kid and he's got a bunch of mixtapes that he wants to explore uh, while he's doing his sort of galactic lifestyle. Yeah. No, it's cool. Mm. Like, I just think that, like, it helps the film a lot. I know you don't want to see, like, you know, Captain America with, with Beastie Boys in the background, but... Um, <laughs> That'd be cool. It Which was, song from Beastie Boys, though? Ah, uh, you'd probably do, like... You know, in, in Winter Soldier, you got to fight for the right to party or something like that, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> sabotage! He's sabotaging lots of shit. He sabotaged Iron Man. Play sabotage. True, true. <laughs> but anyway, I'm yeah. just thinking, like... It, it's funny that this is the only film with, like, you know, iconic, well-known songs, and I think it really helps it. I think, it, yeah, it's a much more casual film, so I, I get why this one pulls it off and the other ones might not, because they're all trying to be mm. a bit serious. It's true. Um, yeah, so key highlights, yes, the music's pretty good. Um, I do like that James Gunn wanted to explore a different corner of the story, which was that really, really deep, dark, emotional um, part of their journey. Um, really like that. But I do have some criticism about it, though, which I'll get into the recap about that. But it is still a highlight. Don't get me wrong. It is still a highlight. Um, I really like Rocket in this. I think his performance is probably one of the best performances in the film. I really like Drax in this. And I think this is the most I've ever liked Drax. I like him in the other films. I think Volume 1 and 2, he is good. But I feel like here he's really come into his own and he really understands his character. One thing I want to add to that is the thing I really hated about Drax in 1 and 2 is that Drax is a destroyer, right? He's the destroyer, but he's just constantly getting punked on in 1 and 2. Like, he doesn't ever beat anyone up any better than anyone else does. And then number 2, he, like, jumps into that monster and it's kind of comedic how that's played out. Number 1, he just gets his ass kicked by, um, bad guy, whose name slips my tongue but in, in number two in number one you know when he like sabotages the group by calling um, the guy and goes one-on-one with him and just gets his ass killed yeah yeah i can't think of his name right now but it's played by lee pace yeah i guess mm. but in in this one i feel like he actually has a few moments to shine in combat and i really appreciated that because i've, I've always felt that drax is like is he just purely for laughs like what's the point of this guy <laughs> yeah is he sort of a comedy uh, soundbite or something but like he he does do a lot of action in infinity 
Is it Infinity War? Yeah, he does a lot of action in Infinity War was, and in Endgame. Was he, like, in Infinity War, though? I don't recall him being, like, a bad... You know how, like, Thor comes down in Infinity War and he's, like, the baddest dude on the on the battlefield? Mm. Like, Drax, I don't think, ever gets a moment like that. And, like, he had so much mm. fear in number one. Like, oh, that guy's Drax. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, anyway. I guess there's only so much time that you can sort of spend on on that when um, it was, it's pretty clear to James Gunn that he wants to tell a slightly different arc to Jax the Destroyer, even though he's like this very much feared warrior. I feel like in this film, even though they do that arc that like JC kind of touched on where he goes and becomes like a father and all that, um, he just they show him kicking ass and I, I like that. Yep, yep. Um, some other highlights were... I think, I think the dialogue is quite good in this film. It's probably better dialogue than Volume One, which is interesting because I still think that Volume One's a better film compared to Volume Three. Um, I think, but I think the dialogue's strong. It's it's got a lot of weight to it, um, and it really anchors a lot of the characters in where they are in their individual journeys, even though they're all on the same journey. So that was pretty good. I think the cinematography was quite good. The visual effects are very very sharp. Very, very nice to look at. Spent a lot of money there, clearly. <laughs> yeah. I actually wanted to mention and make a point here. I know I keep butting into your first impression, so I apologize. How rude. But um, I've complained in the past about Black Panther action sequences where everyone seems very rubbery and, like, it's all moving around very quickly. It's very chaotic. Especially in the first one. Yeah. Even in the second one. Like, it's just kind of like when, she, when they're on the side of that ship and she's, like, jumping around and crawling. Oh, and yeah. It, it looks pretty shit. It looks shitty. And yeah. then, like, when in this film there's a scene where they all like open a door and it's like this big long fight sequence in a corridor with them mm. and a bunch of other creatures and it just looks so much better like i don't know i can't put my finger on it. like everything like, oh that corridor scene is awesome yeah and i was actually gonna say that as part of the highlight is that that's one of the best scenes in the film yeah it is and like the thing that i don't get though is that like it's just it's a still it's the same cgi combat sequence but for some reason this one it looks better i can follow it easier yeah okay you, you they just had it. more they had more time to spend on it I, I guess because uh with black panther it's weird they had a lot of time because there was a lot of delays but then i think there was such a rush to release the film uh the moment when they got the green light saying hey yeah cool finish off the filming finish off post-production and then just release it i feel like that was the problem because usually when a film doesn't have very good visual effects, it's it's down to time and money, one or the other, or sometimes both. Yeah, I just, um, I'm surprised. It's the same. It's the same. You know, same same makers who have buckets of money. That just it's just surprising to me. That's all. I know. Yeah, I know. Who knows what happens in those bureaucratic levels, huh? <laughs> um, what what else you about that scene? Or is that all you want to say about that scene? I mean, that, that's what I wanted to say about that scene because we'll, we'll definitely get into it in the recap. But that that scene is just very very good. One shot sequence or sort of the illusion of a one shot sequence. It's awesome. Loved it. Um, performances, yeah, the, I think the performances were overall quite good. I don't think there was anybody that was underperforming. Even there was only really characters that. Um, either didn't need to be in there or characters that were underutilized, like what JC was saying. And I agree. Adam Warlock was, I'll get into my lowlights here, is Adam Warlock was a ho- uh, was a light. <laughs> Adam Warlock was a lowlight, unfortunately. Will Poulter is a great actor, and I think he's going to do great. But why I was disappointed with Adam Warlock was because I just did not expect the character to be like that in the film. See, I don't uh, know who the character is, so I don't have any expectations of him. I th- 
disagree with this statement, mainly just because I think, like, he did what he needed to in this film. Mm-hmm. I, if he's actually someone in the comic books and you're excited and you saw his name in the cast, notes, you're like, oh, cool, I love this guy. But, like, mm-hmm. as the comic relief uh, sort of side, side, side villain, um, uh, yeah, he, he, he does, like, a really good job of that, in my opinion. I, I wouldn't yeah. want to see more of him. Mm. Yeah, well, uh, I wouldn't want to see any more of the character as well. But that's simply because of how James Gunn decided to interpret the character on screen. Because that is not what I would imagine Adam Warlock to be on screen. Oh, okay, um, so he, he's like an actual dude in these comics. Yeah, Adam Warlock is a pretty prominent figure in Marvel Comics. And he's one, he's a very powerful character. Very powerful. Adam Warlock is known as... He's got the nickname as Space Jesus. Like, he's this dude who is super strong, who has an infinite amount of wisdom and wants to help and save the universe, but just doesn't know. I don't know if he knows how, or I don't know if it's a question of whether he knows how or why, but he's that kind of character. The way he's created in the comics, it's, it's not too, not too different to how they do it in the film, like where he's created from, like he's created out out early. Yeah. Yeah. He's sort of created artificially by, Someone in the comics, it's actually a group of scientists called the Enclave who create him, and they create him to be the perfect being, right? That's their whole idea. And when he becomes a perfect being, he's on a mission to do something that is on the evil side, but then he starts to build a conscious and he built, builds a sense of like moral compass or whatever, and then he goes in the opposite direction and ends up becoming one of the Avengers. But he's uber powerful and he can't die <laughs> well i mean they get the uber powerful part pretty correct here like he's a kind of but it's oh, a, how, how it, often does he get like hurt like it's, it's, well he got hurt pretty bad like you know at some point in the film yeah and then and, like, and that's that not what I expect. yeah but that's not what i expect adam wallach like adam wallach is perceived like the way you read him in the comics he's perceived as this this like space god <laughs> yeah the idea that he's like a childlike comedy unit is not yeah, really yeah. but but the fact that he can get kind of hurt and feel something it's it's very different to how he's written the right so even though he's ridiculously powerful in this film you expected even more ridiculously powerful yeah like and the stuff that he was the, the powers that he was doing in the film it's it's like a hundred times powerful in the comics but that's like <laughs> i mean my response to that would be like a character like that i don't really want in film right like yeah yeah like, but yeah but, but it's it's beside my point my, the point i'm trying to make is that the character is almost like like he's like superman that he's like that powerful yeah well, would like, you rather see adam warlock the way that you know him to be or would you have rather they just like didn't have him and had someone else like sovereign baby and yeah i, I would have liked him to be this very um sort of somber uh less comedic or actually no com- like no comedy at all <laughs> and like, do you and, and okay sorry Go. yeah because because i think he would have just been a, a nice accent and a difference uh to the guardians of the galaxy because what i noticed in the guardians of the galaxy and this is kind of like i see this as, as a little bit of a weakness because it's not i like balance in films and every single character has to be a comedian like in Guardians of the Galaxy, the whole franchise, every single character has to be a comedian. But most times you enjoy it. Sometimes I'm kind of like, why does everyone have to crack a joke? Like you don't have to have every single character crack a joke. Some of the yeah. best comedies out there 
have a great balance of characters that just don't crack jokes at all. Like the straight man. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so is when Adam Warlock, not the straight man though in this film, she kind of is, but she she has comedic accents. Absolutely, like she has lines where it's it's supposed to be. Uh, she's snarky. I know what you mean. Like sometimes, yeah, she's snarky. She says, "I played for laughs." Yeah, that's that's yeah, exactly. Like that's sort of made for laughs. Like a lot of the dialogue is in, is intentionally created so that you can kind of get a laugh out of it. it. And most of it's like dry comedy, right? Yeah. But um, with Adam Warlock, he was straight up like a comedian, <laughs> um, like an English comedian, you know, dark humor. Yeah. And I was kind of like, ah, oh, I'm a little bit disappointed about that because it would have been cool to just have Adam Warlock as a god, and you don't need to have him in the entire film as like a main cast member. Like the cool thing about him being in the comics, like he does have specific comics on his own, but when he's featuring in some comics, like he comes in as this like savior <laughs> and he's badass. Not a little bit, to be honest. Like, I don't know if I enjoy that as like sort of a literary device. Like I remember Captain Marvel. I was thinking to myself, Oh, like how do they explain this being so powerful? And a lot of it's just like, I'm doing other stuff, you know? <laughs> mm. <laughs> I don't know. But I, yeah, I, I think there's ways to write these types of characters. You can have a stoic character that doesn't actually have a lot of screen time, mm. who just comes in every now and then when you kind of need that help, but maybe doesn't solve the entire issue, perhaps. And I was sort of building this um, this whole world around what Adam Warlock was going to be for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And then when he shows up just to be a character who, to be honest, like even, even the costume and like the, the makeup, looks like he's just going to comic-con you know (laughs) he doesn't look great like if if he goes back into the pod and comes mm -hmm. out as the guy that you want him to be would that like redeem that could be good that that could be a way to justify it for sure but um i'm i'm still excited to see what they do with the character i like will poulter i think he's awesome yeah i think he's i think he he he's gonna own this character really really well um but like i want the i want Adam Warlock to be this super athletic, very, very god, almost kind of like a Greek god type character, right? It'd be really cool to see him kind of like that. Like, kind of like a character from 300, except more godly, you know? It'd be really cool to see that kind of character of Adam Warlock, but I don't quite see that. I know he put in a lot of work physically to shape up for the role, but I just remember, you know, the end credit scene, or sorry, the mid credit scene, mm. where it's practically the New Guardians, right? Yeah. And then they're all running and it's doing that last sort of shot of them running towards the camera. The way Will Poulter was running, I was like, man, you don't look like a runner. <laughs> oh, really? You're like, really? Man. You I was like, man, you do not look like an athletic runner at all. Like, it's like a really wonky, awkward run. Knees are going left to right type of situation. Yeah, it's kind of like the heels are sort of flapping on the right hand, right and left, you know, when he's yeah. running. It's I've seen people, I know a lot of people that run like that. And I'm like, I probably run like that. I don't even run. <laughs> 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 but yeah anyway i mean i spent a lot of like way too much time on animal work. but yes yeah, so, uh, some of the other lowlights I'd, I'd say is probably just um uh I, I think the emotional aspect of the film i was expecting perhaps to be like jaw-dropping bawling my eyes out but i didn't cry watching this film right like like even more i yeah and all the things that i was hearing about this and the build-up the hype to how dark and how emotional this film was i my expectations were just so high for it to be super emotional that i was like prepared 
to, to be bawling my eyes out. And I just I, didn't. Yeah, no. Because like, <laughs> the thing that's didn't. kind of interesting is that, like, you probably expected it to be emotional for the Guardian's future mm-hmm. rather than emotional from Rocket's past. Yeah, exactly. I was expecting that send-off and that departure from all the Guardians yeah. to be more heart-hitting, but it just wasn't. Yeah, like, all the emotion is definitely tied to Rocket's backstory. It's not at all tied to the, mm. the fate of the Guardians. Yeah. And I can sort of imagine if someone told me it was going to be emotionally hard-hitting, I would have made the same um, expectation, the same assumption. Yeah. So I was kind of like, oh. And then by the end of it, I just... It didn't have that same kicker ending where you feel like you want to leap off your chair and stand and you know, do a standing ovation. Oh. I didn't feel that. I didn't feel that. Oh, man, when... when I mean, spoilers, because it's a recap. When Star-Lord meets his, like, grandpa, I, I was into that. I, I'm not going to oh, jump over No, no, no. And, okay, and, so that actually got, that was more emotional than yeah. anything in, in the entire film. Oh, man, that, that got me so, that was, like, yeah. That was really, really good. If I was going to cry at any point, it was going to be that one. Like, that was yeah. easily the most emotional thing for me, at least. I don't know why. Yeah. Just thinking old dude would be like, oh. <laughs> I agree, I agree. I, it hit so much because I because he's always been a guy that has been detached from his family and yeah. he had to be a part of a surrogate family. Um, so he's always been on that journey to try and discover like where his place is in the galaxy or in the universe or in the multiverse, whatever. And this film does a great job at showing that he's, he's eventually going to go back to his roots. He, and, and that's kind of done through the relationship that he has with Mantis, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so when he goes back to see his grandfather, I was like, "Oh man, this this part is way better." Yeah, I love <laughs> that. I, I, I think I'm talking about like that's literally like almost the ending in a way, right? Um, it's a good um, ending. It's a good ending. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um. Damn. <laughs> Recap. <laughs> Wait. How far? How are we in? How far are we in on this? Fifty-three minutes. Oh my god, dude. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna not. I'm going to actually go out of my way to not say too much stuff during the recap. <laughs> always call, we're like, just going to read through and then we'll just chime in every now and then. A little bit of chime. A little bit of chime. And then be like, stop, stop talking. Let's move on. All right, cool. A little bit of transition here. Where is it? There we go. Okay. So, uh, act one. As a baby raccoon, Rocket is experimented on a sit, on a sit. On as a test subject by the High Evolutionary, a scientist who sought to enhance all animal life forms into an anthrop- anthropomorphic series, uh, species to create a counter-Earth. Rocket becomes friends with the High Evolutionary's other test subjects, an otter named Lily, a Lila, a walrus named Teefs, and a rabbit named Floor. You are going to say something about <laughs> No, no, I loved it. I, okay. I felt like... Um, this is weird. This is not really like the way the film... This is, this, is, this is not how the film is, right? In a way, like like this, uh, this, yeah, I know about this throughout the first act, but you don't. It doesn't start like this. Uh, no, it doesn't start off like. But this is pretty much like in the first five minutes of the film. But anyway, I feel like um all of um Rocket's friends like this was like just like emotional manipulation in a way, right? Like it's like ridiculously cute, super friendly. They're like laughing in their little cages and you're just there knowing that something awful's gonna happen to them because they're not around anymore. Mm-hmm. Um so like it, it I think it did a job its job very well. Yeah. I think that's probably why you actually hit the um you hit it real uh where I um was kind of uh unsure on where and why I didn't quite find it all emotional because 
it is a little bit like emotional manipulation. It feels like it's such a, um, uh, what do you call it, stereotype or cliched, a cliched setup to just show you that this is going to be very emotional because eventually he's going to say goodbye to these friends. So that's why I wasn't as connected as and attached. The thing that's kind of weird, like I, I recognized it was manipulation because they're ridiculously cute, they're ridiculously nice, and they're so naive. Um, and I, I was there for it. I was like, actually, I, I bought into it. I was enjoying it. And I, I kind of liked the fact that like you have this thing to give you emotional punch. You have this thing that gives you like weight to Rocket's history. And it also does a really good job of highlighting how awful the main villain is because mm-hmm. you can have like, you know, when they do these things like with Thanos and he kills like half the population. Right. And like, you know, like, like logically, you know, that's kind of bad, but you never, you don't recognize any of these people. So it doesn't really get you that badly. And there's all these people mm-hmm. out there like, Oh, Thanos did nothing wrong. Cause you know, you're not, you don't, they're not friends with this guy who just got murdered randomly. Mm-hmm. But the idea that you have these three creatures who are dumb and friendly and cute and then he murders them. Mm. Like, I just think it, it's a lot more weight to making him a villain that you hate more than anything else he could have done. Yeah. I mean, if, if there was two characters side by side, High Evolutionary and Thanos, and you were to say, who do you want, who do you hate more? It's like, yeah, for sure. The, um, the High Evolutionary. Yeah. And Thanos has a, killed way more people. Well, I just, yeah. Again, he's just a, yeah. Emotional manipulation because they set it up in that way on purpose. I just think they did a good job of it. That's all. Mm, yep. Um, he soon displays intelligence and aptitude beyond the other animals and deduces the flaw in the anthropomorphization process, <laughs> angering the higher evolutionary. The higher evolutionary follows Rocket's advice and perfects the process, but informs Rocket that he and his friends. Uh, will not be part of his new Earth, ordering Rocket to be dissected and the other test subjects incinerated. Rocket attempts to escape with his friends, but High Evolutionary suspects this uh, and kills Lila, leading him to be mauled by an endangered Rocket. Enraged. Uh, Enraged. Enraged. Well, he's endangered, I guess. That's true. true. Uh, Enraged Rocket. After Teeth and Flora are killed in the ensuing chaos, Rocket steals a spaceship and flees counter-earth uh yeah so so uh, these are all flashback sequences that happen throughout the whole yeah they're act. interspersed like you don't they're get all in, this in yeah. one giant info dump which would have been awful by the way yeah <laughs> yeah that's right um but when we get to here in the present the guardians of the Galaxy have established their headquarters on rebuilt to nowhere um late one night they are attacked by adam Warlock. so this is the very beginning of the film mm. um they're attacked by Adam Warlock, who's played by Will Poulter, created by the Sovereign High Priestess Aisha, who is an uh, Australian actress. Wasn't aware of that. Elizabeth Debicki, I think is her name. Uh, for the Guardians previously stealing from her people, they are ordered to bring Rocket to the High Evolutionary, who wants to replicate Rocket's in, uh, intellect. During the fight, Adam is defeated by Nebula, but Rocket is seriously injured leaving the Guardians unable to attend to his wounds due to a kill switch embedded in him. Now, I'm, I'm, I kind of forgot, or maybe they didn't mention, but hopefully you can sort of fill in the gaps. Why, why is the kill switch, <clears throat> why is the kill switch inside Rocket now <clears throat> a point of contention or why why do we know about the kill switch now and why didn't they just use the kill switch before well 
I was going to make the point that, like, I guess has Rocket never been hit before? Like, has Rock- Rocket never been in, like, her? So, so, are they saying that it only got activated because he got injured? No, it was more, like, so the way that I remember it in the film is, like, he got injured. They want to use a med pack on him, and the med pack's automatic, and anyone that goes meddling in there, um, it will kill him because oh, he's got, like, it's kind of like a, um, well, how do they refer to it? Like, like copyright. Mm. They don't, he doesn't want anyone stealing his work. Sure, yeah. So it'll just kill him be, uh, if somebody tries to, like... If anyone tries to meddle in there. And so it's, I guess it's implied that he's never been, like, sort of mortally injured before, which is kind oh. of lucky. Um, one thing's, like... So we've sort of entered the end of Act 1 as far as um, this thing is concerned, but I want to touch on a couple of things. One, I think the opening with Creep uh, was really cool. I enjoyed that a lot. Um, with who? So they've got like an acoustic version of Creep playing as they start this thing off, and it's oh. sort of how all yeah. the guardians are kind of just how they are yeah. right now. Yeah. You see like a a drunken uh, Peter Quill, and he's sad about Gamora. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that starts really really cool. I think the starting fight is, is you know, yes, yeah, it's, it's fine. It is what it is. Mm. But yeah, okay. No, I just wanted to touch on that. I really like the starting fight. The the fact that uh, we meet Peter Quill as a drunk guy, mm. and we didn't come back to that and didn't really touch, we didn't tie that up. It was a loose end. Yeah, for the character. I was a little bit annoyed by that. It's like why, why? I mean, I know why he's he. They're saying that he's drunk because he's reeling the the um the loss and he's grieving for Gramora, but uh, like it's. It, it seems unnecessary considering that we never touch on it a- at all and we don't even speak about it. I mean, the only yeah. mention about it is I think Nebula says, Nebula or Mantis is something that you're drunk when they're having, when she recommends that he should go like find his, his family, you know? Yeah. And she rants about that. I think that's the only time they mention it. But then it's it's just such a loose end to that whole character moment it, it's kind of implied he's, he's got one throwaway line about this and i think it is a little bit weak where he's so drunk because of gamora but then he's like man if i wasn't drunk maybe i could have saved um rocket mm. um yeah, and I saying that, yeah. he i guess it's like the movie wants you to say that okay he's got a mission now so he's not going to go back into drinking mm. which I don't know. I mean, but he, he it, never it, had it, that problem, like in before. any of. Yeah, he never had that problem. Like it, it was never it's part of his the character. first film since Gamora died, though. Like this, he, is, have, he uh, didn't yeah. have that problem right until now. Hmm. Yeah, but I mean, he lost Gamora, and um, uh, is he like there in Endgame? He's in Endgame, yeah. And is he like functioning? Yeah. Well, but at the, like to their credit, though, like he, there's n- there's nowhere near enough time to spend any time on him realizing that Gamora is going to be very different because it's Gamora 2014, right? Yeah, and actually, to be fair, like maybe he mourned her death like a normal person, but mourning, but her coming back and not remembering him could potentially have been harder. Like that yeah, is actually yeah. what he's mourning. Yeah, we we know we know that that's really hard. We absolutely, but. It just seems so strange because it doesn't get explored at all, like mm-hmm. him and his drunken behavior. It's it's one small aspect to him uh, for it, us to kind of acknowledge that, okay, he's mourning yeah. Gamora. They yeah. could have, like, because the thing is, they spend a fair bit of time touching on how much it hurts him, how much he's affected by it, all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, he didn't need to be drunken in order to get that across because they actually go out of their way to do it in later scenes. Yeah, it just seems like a waste of time to just 
show a drunk a drunk Peter Quill. <laughs> just yeah. seems really, really unnecessary. I, I thought that was a bit weird. Um, and also in this opening scene, we Adam Warlock comes in, and I was like so excited. I was like, "Yeah, Adam Warlock, he's flying in, just like wow. just how, just as a how I would imagine him flying through space because you know he's like. Space God. He's just, yeah, he's Space God and he's like super powerful, flying through space. And I'm like, man, this is going to be so dope. And then he gets there and then the fighting is a little bit underwhelming. The choreography is a bit boring. Right. Yeah. It's kind it's, of funny. Like when I hear about creatures like this powerful, I'm just like, oh, I don't want to see this guy on screen. Like, <laughs> yeah. I hate but, Superman. Yeah, sure. But it, it's just the, yeah, the fighting was just un- like underwhelming. It was. It, was. Um, it wasn't anything impactful. It didn't feel like he was like Though, this really, really when powerful he being. punches Nebula, I think they had really cool effects for how he punched her. Like her mm. getting beaten up is really fun to watch because um, he like warps her body with every punch. Right, like he looks like things right. are just like ridiculously strong. Yeah, yeah, she does get pretty mangled, um, <laughs> but she's an easy character to mangle anyway. I mean, she's just tin, right? She's just robot. <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean, you know, Vision's a robot. Yep, yeah, no, Vision's not a robot. What <laughs> Vision's <is he>? an android. <laughs> oh, come on. Is, is there much of a difference there? Or? Yeah, like Vision's a, an anomaly. Like he's a person, he, he's actually a human being, an android uh, sort of robot. Yeah, robot but form. he's like physical makeup. Is it not metal? No, because because oh. it can pass through objects. Okay, yeah, I haven't seen um, Avengers 2, so I used to see you with metal. <laughs> Yeah, he's he can pass through objects like he's he's like malleable. Well, I, I don't know what do you call that? What do you what do you call that? Uh, what's that term? Like, yeah, he he can he can um he can actually just he's a go through solid. Yeah, he can go through solid objects. Like, and pe- uh, when people try and punch him, like they can just go straight through him. Okay, this is weird. Okay, yeah, cool. But and then but then he can be the hardest metal on in the universe at the same time. See, he shits me. Like, he's a little bit too too much sometimes, I feel like. Oh, yeah, he's super powerful. <laughs> I hate that. Like, it's not fun. I'm just happy. He's interesting, though. But, but actually, you know, that's actually a good point. Vision, I think, is a great example of what Adam Warlock could be, like this really wise, kind of godlike, all-seeing. Um, ed- like, but but he, the, these characters are sort of points of advice for for our, our main characters, yeah. and I imagine Adam Warlock to be kind of like that as well. Because Vision, like as powerful yeah. as he is, he still has flaws. Like one of his biggest flaws is that he's in love with Wanda, and he can get a little bit naive. So he's showing that sort of human trait. But also, he he has w- the way the Russo brothers wrote that character was that he's in the scenes that make sense that don't deviate away from the stakes of what our main characters go through. Right, that's a good way of writing powerful characters like that. Isn't he there in like a lot of things though? Like, that's the thing that gets me. Like, I, f- I feel like he does just a lot of um, when they have the "I got to kill millions of little creatures" thing. Yeah, he's flying around, he's laser eyeing, he's doing lots of crazy stuff. And then during the boss, he just happens to not be there for some reason. I think the like with Thanos, it was quite good because they're like, okay, this guy, he has it in his head. We got to protect mm-hmm. him. And I'm like, okay, they wrote that pretty well. Yeah, yeah, like Infinity War, he's 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 very much like on like sidelined because they need to try and extract the uh, Infinity Stone from his head. So, yeah, yeah, that's a way of like sort of putting putting him on the sidelines and not being in the way because otherwise he could like actually just save everybody. But actually, one thing back on Guardians of the Galaxy three. Okay, I, I have a feeling since they've like sort of compressed all of Rocket's um, pre story into this first act, I probably should talk about it now. One. Mm. 
I think they did a good job on it. I didn't know what Rocket's backstory was, and this was better than I expected. I think it's mm-hmm. very emotionally touching. This idea that like Rocket had this like very cute, sweet voice um, was like sort of naively trying to show his master how smart he is, and then he kind of gets betrayed, and um, you know, kind of slowly turns him into what he is. I think that's really really cool. Um, again, emotional manipulation does a really good job of that, and I just. I'm touching this, like, all the same points, really, but, like, I think showing the high evolutionary as, like, he's really singularly focused on trying to achieve his goal, it just gave a lot of, like, I guess, um, authenticity to the character, to me. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what I like about this flashback sequences. Um, I'm never a huge fan, not never, but sometimes I'm not a fan of... Uh, flashback sequences like long flashbacks or lots of well they can just be so tacky and it can just be such a cheap way to write in a whole bunch of character arcs and you know subplots and stuff it can just be a really cheap way Mm. of showing that instead of having a smart way of writing that into the script yeah um but i didn't mind too much of the flashback sequences um it's it's jumping back at the right times i don't feel like it's distracting too much of the main plot um, and it's only adding to the story and especially the character of Rocket. One thing that I did like was that, like, you, you see so many times where, um, okay, I'm not going to say finish that sentence, but, like, generally when, when Rocket was going, was, like, clawing at his face, I kind of assumed that, like, oh, he hurt him really bad, but he didn't kill him. I'm like, oh, why wouldn't you kill him? And then, like, you don't really do any lasting damage. But then at the end of the film, when you see that he's done, like, a shitload of ridiculous lasting damage, I was like, yeah, okay, that's cool. That was really cool. Oh, that was pretty brutal. Yeah, oh, it was rough nice. to see. I, I couldn't... I had yeah. to close my eyes a little bit. I thought it was only going to last for a couple of, like, seconds, but he just kept going. Yeah, he's just sitting there talking. He zoomed in on that dude's, like, exposed eyeball. <laughs> <laughs> that was rough. Um, okay, act two. The team revolves... Um, revolves. The team resolves to override Rocket's kill switch by traveling to the Orgoscope, headquarters of the High Evolutionaries company Orgocop. <laughs> Didn't even remember that word, actually. Yeah. In hopes of uh, finding an override code. With the assistance of the Ravagers and a reluctant Gamora, the Guardians narrowly infiltrate Orgosphere and retrieve Rocket's file. When they discover that the code has been removed from Rocket's file, the group speculates that Thiel, one of the high evolutionaries advisors, may have been the one who downloaded it onto the external memory bank and stored on his head, deducing that this may be a trap. They always set it uh, set out anyways. So um on August scope, this look funny looking planet. It's kinda yeah. cool actually the planet. I like the textures and all that yeah, kind of stuff. It looked like a giant asshole when I when I saw it. <laughs> oh my <laughs> Gosh. Wow! It That's does. Right. Now I'm not gonna get that out of my head. Yeah, it does. Like, look at it again. That's right. It looks like a giant asshole. But uh, um, okay. Hey, wait, what do you want to say? I, I want to say a lot about this scene. I liked it. Oh, uh, I I just like the the change in set. I like the change change in scenery. I like the textures, the colors, the visual effects look really quite quite good in this. And this was probably um one of the scenes, if not the scene, where they had. Probably the most visual effects, I'd imagine, because I'm yeah. pretty sure that's all green screen. Um, and I look quite good. Um, I like that Peter Quill was going back to his original roots from Volume 1, where he sweet talks. In Volume 1, he sweet talks Gamora, tries to, like, you know, uh, sweet talk her and get her on his side and um, 
that's actually a very like that whole scene i think is actually quite a funny scene and then mm. you walk out of that with like a bit of respect for peter because he's kind of played off as an idiot up to this point right yeah and yeah. then when he's like, oh, man, just let me talk to them. I'm going to, like, you know. And then she gets him into the system, and then he does a whole bunch of other cooler stuff. Yeah. Um, That's very much his character. And yeah. I like, like how this sort of ties up um, um, his character from Volume 1. Um, it, it gives yeah. me a lot of, like, you know, like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, like Jake vibes, how he's kind of like an idiot, but he's really good at his job. Mm. I enjoyed that sort of shift with... with um, Star Lord, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's great. He's great in this, and yeah, the other characters in the scene as as well. They all, yeah, they all do a pretty good job. I like how there's that funny moment between uh, Drax and Mantis when they when Drax, um, sorry, not Drax, when Mantis oh. hypnotizes. Is it hypnotize? Like, is yeah, it she does her hypnosis? brain. Stuff. Yeah, her brain thing to that dude, and then ends up having a crush on on Drax. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, it is like. I think, and I actually wanted to get your thoughts on this. Like, so Nathan Fillion, right? When I saw him in the classes, yeah. I was like, "Oh, cool! I love this guy." Yeah, I want to get your thoughts on like it's a bit of a fan I, cast as well because everybody's actually been wanting to get Nathan Fillion up as part of the MCU. Oh, really? Why? Why is that? Yeah. Well, it's just because like he's he's a he's a cool actor and he seems no quite fitting stuff. to be yeah to be part of like um, the MCU in some shape or form. And I guess Guardians of the Galaxy is probably a good one for him. Yeah. yeah. No, because like the thing is, like I want to get your thoughts on because like he was like he had a very like sort of elongated comedic um part in this and like if anyone ever thought like oh there's so many jokes and they fall flat that this might be like sort of the encapsulation i of that. think it is yeah i disagree with that as a sentiment i i really thought like i i, I get a kick out of watching like evil okay because technically this isn't evil right this is just a normal place but the idea that like they're just there's like corporate bureaucracy and there's people that work and there's like an idiot who's hired for nepotism and he's dumb and, and Nathan Fillion hates him. Like <laughs> I just found that really funny. Maybe because I work in an office. Um, but yeah. Okay. Overall thoughts on this scene. I, yeah, I thought the visual effects were kind of cool. The fight scene has a lot of like sort of comedic interludes, which I think breaks it up really well. Um, when I try and compare the Gamora, uh, Peter, like Gamora Starlord, I'm just going to say Starlord from now on, their relationship to the Thor Natalie Portman relationship, because that, that's really what it drove in my head. Like this idea that one person wants it back quite badly, the other one doesn't. Um, Guardians does it so much better because of the other characters are able to kind of deflect, like, like you get that message out and then the scene can end naturally because the other character's like, oh, you can hear it. Like we can hear you, you know. Like, this is so awkward. Um, mm. Yeah, because I just kind of thought that, like, this was very similar to that love story in a way, and I just think this was handled a lot better. Like, mm. I, I get the feeling that maybe they saw that movie and thought, okay, let's do this, but differently. Yeah, I actually do like the love story between Peter Quill and Gamora. I think it's actually one of the best love stories in the whole MCU, because especially at this point for Peter Quill's journey is that they're making it incredibly difficult for his character to get her back but mm. part of but a part of his character trait is that he has a lot of tenacity and he's a lot of drive to get that repair that relationship you know, even like some, yeah. of the, some of the lines that he exchanges with gamora when he says something on the lines of um you will eventually like come around I yeah, like old gamora wouldn't have done this like <laughs> yeah that's really cool and and like the how he exchanges some of those lines is with a comedic stroke, which is nice. Um, but ultimately, it's coming from a place of sincerity. It's coming from a place of conviction. But it's also coming from a place of love. 
mm. as corny as that might sound. He's coming from a place of love and he really, really loves her. And that mission for him to be a part of Gamora's life again and for her to be his girlfriend again is going to be an awesome journey that I can't wait to see more of that, actually. Yeah, that's cool. I Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Like, that's all makes a lot of sense. I feel like yeah. it's kind of funny where if they got together at the end, I probably would have had a very different opinion on this entire film. I was hoping that wasn't going to happen because it, yeah. it would have it would have changed everything. It would have changed been, the whole thing. Oh, man. It would have just been completely contrived, this whole attempt for him yeah. trying well, to become... Well, I think when she's like, you know, we would have been fun, right? Like, you, you see her, like, sort of consider it, like, think about it, but she's not interested. Yeah. And that is realistic. Um, it's more. It's way more realistic. I mean, yeah. like the the only her her very very small moments of uh, doubt in in her choices are, are very minor. But I think they come in the form of just her going, "Hmm, maybe they are right. Maybe I did once upon a time have all that." You know, I, I think yeah. that's what you, that's what she's thinking. At least that's what I get when I see her reaction. But they're very very minor. And I, I'm glad that James Gunn didn't, like, allow that to sort of... I'm so up. happy that she didn't, like, oh, I'll give you a chance. Like, after seeing your heroic, heroicism, <laughs> I want to get, yeah, like, oh, God, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Uh, okay, let's move on to this part here. The team arrives on Counter Earth against Gamora's wishes, followed by Aisha and Adam, with the help... Um, uh, with help from a family of bat-like humanoids, Quill, Nebula, and Groot trace Thiel to the High Evolutionary ship, while Drax and Mantis remain with Gamora and Rocket. Quill and Groot board the High Evolutionary ship. After getting a tip from Quill that the populace of Counter-Earth live, uh, live imperfect lives, much, as, much to his disappointment, the High Evolutionary begins to initiate Counter-Earth's destruction a process that kills all civilization on the planet, um, including Aisha. As the High Evolutionary ship enters orbit, Quill and Groot throw themselves and Theo off the High Evolutionary ship as it ascends and successfully retrieve his memory bank to access, to access the o override code, where they are rescued by Gamora afterward. Nebula, Mantis, and Drax decide to board the ship to rescue a now-absent Quill and Groot, <laughs> During the trio's attempts to access the override code, Rocket flatlines and has a near-death experience where he is met by Lila, Teefs, and Floor. They tell him that this is his time. Wait, right. they, they tell him <laughs> that exactly this, it, right? yeah, this time has not yet come uh, just before the override code disables the kill switch, saving Rocket's life. Okay, so there's a lot in this, just in this last part of the act two. And... Um, this, uh, I think, this whole part on Counter Earth, it was it was kind of cool. Um, Counter Earth is also like part of the comics as well. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, like Animal Earth. Yeah, mm. yeah, sort of like yeah, uh, a mock not not a mockery, but like a mock up Earth of uh, what it could be. And I like the the motivation behind high evolutionary i i really believed his mission like he was really like a psycho scientist who really had this um you know uh sanctimonious belief system where he's the only one that can actually create perfection in in the universe mm. i like that he's he's doing that here um kind of stuff right like he, it's not like he's just doing it out of nowhere he's, he's got a bit of a track record of success yeah, he does. He has he has a really good track record of success, like even just in the form of Rocket. Um, and I do like the comedy 
and when he when they meet the family. Oh, it's fantastic! Yeah, the comedy it's, when they meet the family was actually again, quite awesome. Like, a lot of dialogue comedy, like you know, when Nebula's like, "Oh, this drink is delightful," I'm just like, "Oh man!" Like that's just a funny line. <laughs> this drink like, is delightful, but just oh man, just Drax sitting on the couch is just a genius piece of directing, right? Yeah, right. Like James Gunn would have been like, "All right." The way I'm going to set up the scene is like, you guys are going to sit down the table, but Drax, you're going to sit on the couch and maybe just give some breathing room for Drax to improvise here. And I love the fact that... You think that that was made up? Maybe, maybe. I don't know. Because I I just believe that James Gunn trusts his actors so much Mm. that he's going to give them some space to be flexible and just to improvise a little bit. And I feel like Dave Bautista knows his character so well that he would have just... You know, he, he would have just thought of it maybe on the spot. Like, let's sit on the couch and then he lies down and then Nebula tells him off. Like, like, I don't know, like the idea that it's just like a bunch of people doing like a table read where they, they know their characters well. Like, the, like mm. what you've kind of put in my brain is like, I don't really want to know the truth now. I would rather not know that this was in the script. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, it's, it's all, it's all just like the dialogue and the script is just really a guideline or something and they're just going to improvise that would be cool as the hell. hell out of it. It would be so cool. And I'd believe it, right? Like, I, yeah. I think all. All of these actors are so talented. They've played these characters for quite a long time now, like close to 10 years. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Like close to 10 years. And it's quite a lot of movies that they've been playing these characters in as well. So um, I like that Nebula sort of chimes in and says, you know, sit up. But then it was really Pillow Quill that was always saying, sit up, Drax, sit up, Drax. Yeah, yeah. Like it's not, <laughs> it's not for sleeping just, or something. Yeah, just stuff like that. And then just them just bantering on the table with and trying to translate to this race, whatever this race is called. Uh, bat-like humanoids, apparently, is what they're called, according to this uh, recap. Oh, yeah, they look bat-like. One thing that I found yeah. kind of weird about your synopsis is it's like um, the high evolutionary gets a tip from Peter that they're not living well, and he gets disappointed and then destroys the, the civilization. I felt like he was in on it. Like, he knew. Right, like oh yeah, I don't think it was like oh, oh my god, this yeah. is new information. It felt like I maybe, know maybe not a perfect. tip, maybe maybe not a tip. I think it was really just a reminder, like a confirmation right? type like of a confirmation. Thing. Like when they're driving through the streets and they see a bunch of people like you know dealing drugs or whatever, and then he says that to them, and he's kind of like ah oh, yes, like because I, I think his his reaction to that was. I, I already know this. I think mm. that's what is Rex. I already know this. Now you just reminded me. Now it's a good time for me to just demolish the earth. <laughs> uh, see, I felt like it was more just like a yeah, I know. Like I'm in, I'm in the I'm in the process of destroying this earth. Like I kind of felt right. like it was more like a yeah, could have been that too. Yeah, um, yeah, it's cool. I think visually it's really cool how he's destroying the earth, like how that's done. Um, I'm not. It's kind of weird. It's kind of fresh in my mind, but I don't have like a whole ton of opinions. Like yeah, comic comedically it's fantastic i think we say that for all like so much in this film so it's, it's weird to sort of say um i i don't know how i feel about like you know the plan being essentially they're not going to check Groot because Groot's a tree like yeah. what is your plan i'm going to sneak weapons in but you can't oh no but i can oh cool like you know what i mean I guess I you don't just know. don't think. Well, I don't know. You you don't think about checking a tree for weapons. So. I feel like this film. One of the things that I think is like kind of a negative point or a positive point. I don't know my opinion on this yet. Is that like it's just shooting from place to place to plot to plot. Like it's a very fast paced film. They don't let a lot of things breathe, um, and so there's not like a ton of setup for things. They're just like shooting on to the next thing. Oh yeah, for sure. It's a very, very fast paced film. It really moves. It doesn't actually, you're right. It doesn't actually have a lot of time to just take a little bit of a break, take a breather. 
Um, I think all those breather moments are really just down to the moments between some of the characters. You're mainly like Peter Quill and Mantis moments, or Peter Quill. Yeah, and like just little conversations that happen amongst it all. But they're always like they're moving mm-hmm. from his location to that location, here to here, here to here, yeah. and like so something like the plan on how to get in is something that like may have had like a bit more time to breathe in a different film, but in this one, it's just sort of like, no, we're in there now. Okay. The plan has always been, we get guns and we shoot everybody. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's, it's all like cool. I think what else have we just sort of talked through? They bought the ship. They jump out of the ship. I Um, think, um, actually, actually, sorry. I I, I, I like the fact that, um, Nebula and Drax, um, and Mantis are trying to get into the ship. And as they are leaving. I like the fact that... I did enjoy the, the scene where it's like, oh, hey, bring the ship over. It's like, we can't do that. It's like, why not? And just the camera pans over and they're just standing there. And they're just like <laughs> mad about it. I, again, we shouldn't stop commenting so much on like, oh yeah, this comedy part was good. But like, it is a very big part of this film. So yeah. I think it's worth part of the DNA. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, it's, it's, I think it does a reasonably good job of just like, we're on this planet for this reason. They have a bunch of action sequences and then, yeah, it moves mm. on. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of funny, um, actually, when you actually talk about like act one and act two, like it really, like in my mind, I just don't remember a whole lot of what's happening in this section. Like orgo, the orgoscope was like really clear in my head of what that was. Mm. And I think it was just because of the colors and the change of scenery. We're not used yeah. to seeing that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. All right. Anyway, but texturally, color grading all that kind of stuff it's like it's very very different to see but you know being on counter earth is basically just earth with just a bunch of uh different species compared to humans because you know what the opinion kind of falling in my head now and it's kind of a negative one so because <laughs> like, i was watching that film and i was having a really good time but like so i'm starting to think that like a lot of the storyline punch is really housed in these flashback sequences mm-hmm. and what's happening in real time is really just like uh, I'm not sure if like, have you played like an Uncharted game, like one of the Uncharted games. No. Okay, so it's just like you're going through this kind of linear f- process flow of like action, 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 action. You're in this mm. new place, bit of conversation, action, action, action. And so, like as we're talking through this recap, it's starting to dawn on me that like the it's really just like let's move to this place to do a thing, let's move to this place to do a thing, and there's a bunch of like. The thing that kind of sucks is that as I'm explaining it, it's like, well, yeah, that's what a movie is. But it just, there's not a whole lot of storyline outside of we want to save our friend. And then in amongst all that, there's a bunch of flashbacks about the friend's character. Well, yeah, I mean, I was actually going to say this for the end, but I I might as well say it now. It's that the the reason why I find this movie not as fulfilling as volume one is because it's, it's actually quite, uh, it's quite shallow. Mm. Like I'm, story, I'm getting that now. I'm feeling story that. story is pretty shallow. If you remove all those uh, flashback sequences, what do you have? Yeah, like, <laughs> I, I, like, I feel like the main quest in this movie, if you want to call it that, is, like, not a particularly engaging one. No. Whereas... It's a pretty, it's a pretty like, uh, I don't know, like, it's not, it's not a very layered uh, story. It's... It's it's them just about them on a quest to save Rocket. But if you think about the first movie, right? Like, what is that quest? Like, these guys want to rock. They uh, these other guys band together. Like, you've got the origin aspect of it, of course. Ignore that. Um, yeah. They want like 
The bad guys want the rock. The good guys have the rock. The bad guys get it. The mm. good guys go and stop the bad guys from using the rock to do some bad shit, right? Like yeah. it's it's not that much more detailed. Well, but the the whole the whole story was really wrapped in us learning about the characters. So, um, we we already know a substantial amount about the characters already. Now this mm-hmm. film is just really about them just being funny a bit more. You know, <clears throat> there's nothing newer that we get to know learn about the characters other than them sort of finishing off their arcs to, in some kind of. I was going to say, though, as a counterpoint to that, though, yeah, like, there is quite a lot of growth in each of those characters. And if you actually take this film and you say, okay, it's not so much about the main... I keep calling it main quest, but that's not like a dumb way to say it. But, you know, like, I want to kill this bad guy. Um, It actually does a reasonable good job of, of showing the growth of each of the characters so that at the end, when their arc finishes, it all makes sense, which yeah. I think yeah. is not like respected enough in hindsight mm. well no i i think that's why this movie works is because of of what the characters are going through and how it comes full circle because mm. um, without that and without especially without the black, uh, flashback sequences i think the plot is pretty underwhelming but if you, if, if you take it as a character driven drama right <laughs> which is funny because it's a comedy film and i don't know why we're doing this for act three but anyway like you've got nebula the harsh person who shits on everyone she goes through this journey of starting to respect drax for his qualities and mantis for her qualities mm-hmm. and then that's actually a natural part of the film because of the sequence of events that they go through and then at the end she's like i want to create a good world for these kids that they they that i never got to have so that actually like makes sense yeah um drax shows that he's better as a caring father rather than a destroyer and he becomes like poor of a uh, a caring figure and that like it's not given a ton of time but it makes sense you got mantis finally getting like confidence in herself and deciding to go off on her own and because of her experience with those giant teeth creatures that makes sense like mm-hmm. i'm starting to realize that each of these characters have an arc that um puts a little bit of a stepping stone to their eventual journeys and it all makes sense and i think doing it for that many characters is usually quite difficult mm. Yeah, yeah, and, and and that's what is really the best part about this whole film is it's really character centric. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, otherwise the like the story is pretty. Uh, yeah, it's pretty shallow, underwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> if the story right. was just really about the characters, then that's fine. Like the, the you know that's let's let's make the story the movie about that. But I think Volume One just is richer in story because they have uh, much higher steak i think i think the steaks are just made better in the first film the steaks in this uh okay, one yeah, guy's steak. life and getting revenge yeah yeah they're, like the steaks in the first one i mean they they were on they're saving they're, a planet they're saving a planet and that planet was about to be destroyed which it end up ends up getting destroyed uh after what? volume two i don't recall just that. getting into yeah just getting into infinity war they mention it uh, um in a piece of dialogue the beginning of Infinity War. I don't think a greater but more vague... Like, I know I'm just sort of being a contrarian right now. Um, but, like, I wonder if, like, saving this best friend that we all know and love because he's a character in this movie that we've watched three times is actually more engaging than, oh, no, the planet's going to get blown up by this guy. Well, it's only made possible because of the flashback sequences. But they are in the film. No, no, no yeah. but even that, ignore, ignore the flashback sequences. Like, you still don't want Rocket to die because you presumably like Rocket from 1 and 2. Yeah. 
but I I probably look if if Rocket died without those flashback sequences, I just kind of I, I don't think I would have felt a lot of remorse compared to really? any other character dying. Yeah, I think compared to all the other MCU characters, like Rocket's our main characters. Yeah, if Peter Quill died, I'd probably like feel that for sure. If Rocket died, it's like. I, I don't know Rocket any better than I know, uh, like, Drax, <laughs> you know? And if Drax died, you wouldn't be sad? Uh, I'll just be like, okay, what, that was sad. Ant-Man died? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Mm. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. Could you get his really... origin story? I know what you're talking about. Like, you get his origin story. Yeah. It, it'll know? depend on how the character goes, you know? Like, uh, character, ca- character deaths, the way they're written in films, the best ones are the setup to that death or the foreshadowing to that death yeah, those okay. are the best ones not the ones that just happen out of like random like for example when loki dies in infinity war that was so abrupt it was so rushed i was kind of like oh, i don't have I... well i liked it i liked it but i didn't i didn't feel anything for for a character that i feel like i know really well <laughs> I actually thought it set the scene for that film really well to say like, oh, this is yes. Like, it's got nothing to do with like how now. it sits. It's got nothing to do with how it sits up the film or anything like that. It's more just about the character just dying. Yeah, for for in a in such a rushed way for a character like that, it, there should be some kind of build up to that. Um, yeah. Iron Man's death was so impactful because it was really good build up to that. Oh yeah, that was really really good build. I just felt yeah. like the Loki death was purely like a, like, oh, all those kiddie Marvel films are in the past. Now it's like the adult Marvel <laughs> film. Even yeah. though really no one else dies, right? Like, oh, yeah. A bunch of people turn to dust. But, yeah. Um, yeah. But, but, the, but, you know, my, you know, my point, right? My point is done, that. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's just it's so rushed. Well. It's so rushed to get to that point of like, okay, he's dead now. I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah. But I guess, uh, I understand like from the point of like, death should mean something. Mm-hmm. Um, in a written piece of fiction, but at the same time, also when one is like abrupt, it kind of means something. It doesn't mean the same thing, but it still kind of shows like, oh man, anything can happen. Which yeah. kind of excited me for that film. Didn't pan out that way. I still love that film, but yeah. it's not like people were dying left and right. No, no, no. And and it is dark. But the beginning of Infinity War is dark, and I'll actually say it's like one of the darkest moments of the MCU. Yeah. But um. Uh, yeah, like Ant Man, if he died, it really depends on how they write that death. Like, okay. if they if they start the next Avengers film r- the same way that they did with Loki in Infinity War, and Ant Man just dies in the beginning, I'd probably be like, okay, yeah, he's like dead. he climbs <laughs> into Thanos' ass, tries to grow up, and Thanos <laughs> just crushes him from the outside in. <laughs> this is like ass muscles just crush him. Yeah, like they, he's really strong. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Act three. Let's get into Act Three. Um. Mantis, Nebula, and Drax come across hundreds of imprisoned anthropomorphic children on the high evolutionary ship before being captured and placed in the chamber with abelisks. Are they the teeth people? I think so. They must be. Yeah, yeah, Mantis is able to uh, tame and befriend the abelisks, and the three escape the chamber before reuniting with the Guardians and overpowering the high evolutionary's army. Craglin and Cosmo arrive with nowhere. Cosmo creates a telekinetic, a telekinetic tunnel connecting it to the high evolutionary ship, allowing them to free the captured children. Should we talk a little bit about Cosmo? We haven't actually mis- mentioned Cosmo the whole time. Who is Cosmo? Like, I had no idea. The dog. Yeah, I know who... Okay, sorry. I know who the character <laughs> is, but it's sort of implied that you're meant to know the dog from somewhere else. Is that true? Oh, yeah, because Cosmo the dog is in volume... 
one in the credit scene. Okay. Yeah, in the cool. stinger scene. Okay, yeah. I didn't I didn't catch that. I mean, but it's not a character that we know very well. This is the first time that we've actually seen Cosmo. And right, okay, I thought I missed something big. No, 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 no. This oh. is the first time that Cosmo has appeared properly in a film and um, spoken dialogue. So I feel like I'm gonna I'm gonna put words in your mouth. I think you're going to say that the whole good dog bit was very tired and was played too long. That's what I yeah, think you're gonna say. It just it just felt like they ran out of ideas for both Craglin and Cosmo. <laughs> mm. They didn't need <laughs> to work too hard, really. No, I, no. Like, I didn't get annoyed by it, but like by the fourth or fifth time, it's kind of funny. Like Even the people in the ship are annoyed by it, and you're kind of like, oh, yeah, they're on the joke. But mm. sometimes it, it doesn't sort of play out that way. It's just kind of annoying. No, it doesn't land too much. And the dog is kind of cute. And I did like some moments with the dog, especially when... Um, when I, it's probably like the first time that you see the dog. Um, when he he or she does the telekinesis thing with um, yeah, with the with the with, rock, yeah, with the rock, like that's kind of cool. But I, 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 I was fine with just having that and then no more. But uh, see, I can imagine the concept of like like in the writing room, these people going, you know, it'd be hilarious if like a dog is talking like mad shit, but then someone says bad dog and the dog gets like really offended. Like mm. I can imagine. I can imagine that like, they think ah, it's like, that's super hilarious. Funny. Yeah. And like it did land the first time for me. It did. Um but we didn't need any more of that. It was a little bit tired. I I, I didn't hate it by the end of it, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I had a feeling you would have hated it by the end. Yeah. Oh, I didn't hate it. Like it's it's it, it doesn't actually bother me that much because it's not in the film so much. But they're also characters that didn't need to be in the film. Yeah, I think Craglin, like I think it's kind of nice that he uses the little whistle arrow. The little whistle arrow is like kind of like one of those things that people love. Yeah. You didn't need them, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, because cause that character has been in all three, f- or, or like, or now. Maybe it's Sean Gunn. Is he like James's brother? Yeah, it's his brother. Yeah, okay. You um, want to get him a bit of a credit. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like he had to be in this because he's been in the franchise, right? And he's yeah. been in uh, some of the Avengers films too. So you kind of have to find a way to incorporate him into the story. I, I um, do think that, like, his sort of, like, growth from I am very shit at the Arrow to I am very good at the Arrow um, is something that was not done particularly well. <laughs> there was no um, It was like, at one point he couldn't do it, and now he can. <laughs> yeah, because he saw a vision of... It was his dad. No, it's not his dad. No, no, no. His, his friend dad. from the, the Ravager. Oh, so the, the relationship is just friend. Yeah, I mean, they weren't friends to start with. Like, the Ravagers are, are like, against everyone else, you know? Yeah. But, okay. Um, but he just sees him and like, use your heart, son. And then he just does it, right? Like, yeah. it's a long film. If, 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 no, you know what? I've always, I've, I've maintained this perspective in all of my reviews. If you're going to put it in, give it the time it needs to be good. And they didn't do mm. it for this Craglin character. No, no. I'm I'm the same as well. My position on these types of things is always the same. Is like, if the characters have nothing valuable to add to the story, do not have them in the, in the film. Yeah. If know? though they did spend time with him, like how did he get good? I'm not gonna say a vision because that's just more in the whole flashback. <laughs> you can't have too many flashbacks yeah. slash visions. Yeah. But like me, yeah. But like, they they could have sprinkled this stuff in volume one and two, right? Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I know they can't. They can't because that character only died in Volume Two. But I don't know if if, if they're gonna do something like that. Just either either don't do it, get him to do something else. You know? Yeah, the idea, like maybe. Okay, I'm just trying to try and bit of a do a fantasy writing here. Like he throws his arrow at 
warlock warlock's like who threw that that's this is like childlike um he gets really depressed he's working really really hard he can't get it and then he's in a laugh at a situation maybe he sees the thing maybe he gets Mm -hmm. it right but the idea that he's like just sitting there playing cards which they actually do go out of their way to show that's right yeah it it, it makes it fall flat that it's just somehow brilliant when when the time calls for it yeah yeah you're right i mean he should have just been practicing in the background like you don't need to focus on him but you can just show him practicing you could even focus on it maybe you know what i mean like or maybe just a little bit like you know just a a quick sort of cut fade away or something yeah but it doesn't have to detract away too much from what the main focus on the the scene is but you can just show him like it's it's an efficient way of yeah it's an efficient way of like developing characters like like, oh yonder i'm not getting it you know just Mm. talking to nothing and then like uh, i don't know just some sort of source of inspiration because like the way that it's played it's just very very uh It doesn't hit. It doesn't land. Okay, sorry. Yes. Yes, I'm with you on that. Uh, okay, so the rest of the... No, no, where am I? Rocket discovers a litter of baby raccoons, I guess. Rocket discovers a litter of baby raccoons, the same one he came from, the other Earth animals, um, but is attacked by a deranged High Evolutionary. The rest of the Guardians arrive and subdue the High Evolutionary as he is left to perish on his own ship. While the animals are rescued and taken aboard uh, nowhere along the most... Uh, along with most of the guardians quill nearly dies trying to cross over to nowhere but is saved by adam who has a change of heart after being uh, spared and saved by the guardians okay we jumped quite a few leaps here but because this is like um this is this is a quick yeah because this is mentioned just here i want to i want to mention it now i did not like this scene where peter quill He's doing his whole like last minute heroic thing, and I know mm-hmm. he comes back to get his his uh, Walkman. Yeah, and then the time that he goes to jump out of the ship, I knew exactly where this was going. As really, as I thought I thought they were going to kill him off. Well, uh, no, I I didn't know I that, that he that. wasn't going to die. I don't know. He's, I thought he's going to. I thought he was going to like actually die here. But I, if that was the case, regardless of if it was the case, and clearly it's not the case because he doesn't die. It was just so cheap. I just really? thought it was so cheap that, like, okay, he's just the last guy to to <laughs> to run out of the ship. He yeah. had no reason to be the last guy out of the ship, other than him dropping his Walkman. Yeah, but that was the only reason, and it's that was the only reason. Thing. But it's a it's a really dumb that's a dumb way to, to die. He cares so much about that goddamn Walkman, though. Like, he does, he sense. does, but it yeah, it kind of makes sense. But it's so cheap; it's such a cheap way to write off a character. But then that's why, as soon as as soon as like. Um, the slow motion and stuff was still happening and his face was blowing up. I was like, oh, okay, I guess he's actually going to die here. And yeah. if he did die there, I would have been pretty disappointed on him. Really? Yeah. But it's like, it's it's a death caused by a character trait that we know of his character. Like, I feel like if he's going to yeah, die, no, how that's, else? That's just too, that's too shallow. In my you life. wish that he did something more heroic. It's like something layout. a bit more meaningful than... Uh, just dying because he wanted to grow up as Walkman. That's so, that's so Star Lord, though. But, but like, let me ask you this: would it would it have been emotional <laughs> if he died? I would have been shocked. I wouldn't have found it particularly sad because it's like kind of yeah. he's an idiot, yeah. right? Like it's like it's a kind of death that would make you angry at the character, exactly. Which maybe they don't want to do. I get, yeah, yeah. But that's I'll just be angry at the writers for doing that. I was like, that's just such a dumb way to like. Get rid of a such an important pivotal character. The main character of the entire franchise dies from just because you decided that you wanted to write the characters, but uh, in a way that he drops his Walkman, he has to go back and pick it up, and then he just dies. 
Like, mm. Come on, man. That's really, really dumb writing. <laughs> okay. So you were happy that he didn't die, but you didn't like the fact that Adam saved him. Well, it, the whole scene it's, itself, just you that segment, right. is yeah. just a really, really cheap. So you were just sort of sitting there, like, watching him blow up, going, man, they're going to kill him? Like, you were just like, it's like, it's like anger yeah. rolling up inside you, and then yeah, they don't kill him. Was, you're like, well, that's a waste of time. Yeah, it was just dumb. It was a really, really dumb waste of time. Like, And that, yeah. even, that kind of cheapens the scene even more, the fact that he doesn't die. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, I agree. And, he, and he gets saved by Adam Warlock, and I'm like, <sighs> I, that, was, that was really, really, that was a very contrived scene. Yeah, I'll admit that. Like, I felt like it was like they're trying to be so emotional, and I'm like, this one was kind of played for laughs at the end. There are a couple of running jokes that I don't love. Um, one, actually, I should mention this now too. Like, one with the like, was that did that look cool? I don't know where this came from, but it it's not that hilarious. Um, the other one, they do a lot of slow motion walks towards the camera, and I don't know what that's about. It's uh, it started in it's like four. They do it four times, right? Like they. Oh, just... I think they do it more than that. It was quite a lot. Like in this one, in this particular yeah. film. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, Wait. They do it quite a lot in volume one. Um, I think I do agree that it was like pretty contrived and it was pretty like silly. I I I'll, I, I admit that. Like I thought they were going to kill him off, and I did have the thought of, oh, that's a pretty dumb way to die. Like. <laughs> and then yeah. the fact that he doesn't die just makes it worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. It's just so dumb. It's just, I don't understand it, why. It seems to be a means to cement Adam's, like, uh, face turn. Like, just turning into a good guy. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, because he does turn into a good guy in the comics, too. But then, then that in itself is also a cheap way to write that character. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I was just... I was so disappointed in that last part. Eh? I was like, ah. Um, one other thing I want to talk about in this scene. Yeah, one, the, the hallway fight scene. Incredible. I thought it was really oh, yes. good. Yes. And, like, the idea that they're walking really cool. They open the door. There's all these creatures on the other side, and they just start, like, wrecking shit. One thing I do love about Guardians of the Galaxy fight scenes is that the main characters get hit a lot. Yeah. I like that. They're, well, they're ragtags, right? They don't know how to fight. <laughs> uh, I reckon, no, surely? Like, Nebula yeah. should know how to fight. She's like been in like com- constantly trained with her sister and losing, but you know, you, you learn a lot from losses. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, like, like they get hit a lot and I really like that. I hate it when like the main characters never get hit. Um, I don't know, what do you want to say about that scene? Because I was going to move on. Mm, I mean, nothing other than it was just a really cool one shot scene. I liked it. I liked it a lot. Yeah. yeah. I think the action's just really good. Drax shows, like, he's doing a lot of damage in this scene, which I like. I just yeah, always yeah. felt bad for him because I'm like, you meant to be a destroyer, dude. Destroy some shit. Um, I like the team ups as well, you know, with Groot and uh, Rocket again. That was a nice little team up, too. Cause yeah, that was cool. It was kind of cathartic, right? To see them finally yeah, team up again. Yeah. Actually, one thing I kind of wanted to ask this is about an earlier scene. So, you know how, like, Drax knows the language of the kids. <laughs> that was actually funny. <laughs> um, do you like... Because I kind of played it off differently in my head, and then it turned out not to be this way. So it could have gone two different ways, right? The way that I had in my head was that Drax learned it from talking to them, as in, like, he's very smart. But the way they actually played it was that he just knows the language, and Nebula didn't respect him enough to ask. <laughs> so That was very much part of his character, though. Like he's, he's such a doofus like he's 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 actually very very a dumb character but he, he mm-hmm. believes that he's not dumb and that's something that drax would say 
it's like, oh, I actually knew this whole time, but you didn't ask me. He's kind yeah. of like, you didn't ask him. <laughs> I kind of wanted him to be smart, but I guess it would go, go too far against his character. Like, oh, he's an idiot, but he just somehow is amazing at linguistics. Okay, no, you're no, right, no, you're no. right. No, he just knew the whole time, and yeah. like, you didn't ask me. <laughs> I do really me. like that scene where, like, Mantis is defending... Like, it's probably the funniest scene in the film, in my opinion, mm. when Mantis is defending Drax, and Drax is like, wait, I don't know if I like... Yeah, I don't know if I like this compliment. Yeah, yeah. That's probably the best one in the entire film for me. If I had to go back to that. Wait, you think I'm stupid? (laughs) And then she has to actually go forget. And then he's like, cool again. But like the idea was like, I don't like this compliment. (laughs) Um, That's very cool. Cool other things I want to sort of point out in this film that I liked. I liked the fact that everyone turns on the high evolutionary. Yeah. Um, that to me doesn't happen enough in films when people go crazy. You know, she's constantly yeah. saying, Oh no, you're you're doing terrible things and then she eventually pulls the gun on him, he kills them all. Great. Mm-hmm. Um, that was cool. The last thing I want to bring up is I really enjoyed the fact that they just wrecked the high evolutionary shit. Mm. Like as soon as they saw him, um because he's been shown to be very powerful, right? He's been shown to like crush people, like he fucks up Adam Warlock. Um, pretty easily. Yeah. Um, and I kind of didn't have it in me to have like another long boss fight. Yeah. So the fact that Rocket just like turns on his boots, shoots him in the chest, everyone just wrecks the crap out of him and they kill him. Yeah. Um, I did like that direction for the film. It was a pretty cool last team up standoff. You know, the all the guardians taking on this one guy it was pretty cool. Yeah, just the fact that they just beat him so easily. I like they could have easily done a big boss fight, right, with this guy who controls gravity, um, but they didn't, and I was I was happier for it. Yeah, because this whole final scene or this final act, I guess, is is more about just the uh, large scale events that are happening all around them, trying to save a whole population of animals and a whole population mm. of like um, random human beings and children, whatever. Um, and then eventually, we, when we get to that part where we meet the final boss again, it's just it's done so quick because these guardians are so good with fighting each other, you know. Yeah, I, they I really, they're really good chemistry, and they know exactly how to choreograph. Like, the, the, exactly, the, yeah, I, I really like that. Like, it just showed them as powerful. Like, I, I didn't have it in me for another like long, tough <laughs> fight where they're like, oh no, is he gonna get rocket again? Mm, he's gonna have to jump in, especially like you know five on one. I kind of hate those kind of scenes. <laughs> We're like yeah yeah anyway that was all i wanted to say anything you want to touch on nah that's about it um in the aftermath of the battle the guardians decide to disband with quill bestowing the ca- captaincy to rocket before leaving for earth to reunite with his grandfather mantis embarks on a journey of self-discovery with uh abelix Ab- abelisks uh gamora reunites with the ravages while nebula and drax remain on nowhere to raise the rescued children um and that's pretty much like the end of the film, yeah. end of the film. Um, and then the credits start rolling. The dance sequence at the end. Um, you didn't like I, that? I, I'm, I'm going to say this real quick. I okay, I, I I like it. It's it's fine for me. But I didn't love it. I didn't love the fact that they all broke out into this like dance at the end. It seemed 
very much like, hey, we're going to do this because this is the last time that we're bringing these characters together and less about them doing it because that's what the characters would do. <laughs> yeah, it definitely seemed, seemed meta, right? It was, it was definitely like... In yeah, my, in my yeah right? That's, it's, that's a good way of putting it. It was very meta. It was very much, hey, mm-hmm. let's celebrate and let's high five and well done to everybody for being a part of this big production. It felt like like a, um, an expensive filming of the rap party. You know what I mean? <laughs> All right, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Like, <laughs> I, yeah, because I definitely got the vibe watching it. Like, oh, hey, this is like, oh, everyone's happy and and everyone sort of like moved on with their lives, and it's really good. And yeah, it looks like they just came out of their characters. It looks like they they just went, hey, we're ra- we're wrapped. That's a wrap, and the yeah. cameras are still rolling, and then they're just partying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. I, like, it didn't take me out of it too much. Um. And I just kind of felt like this kind of similar to Black Panther 2 where it felt like half film, half homage. Mm. Um, yeah, that was it. Yeah, uh, that's why I, I think that's why when the credits rolled, I was kind of like, oh, I don't feel like clapping for this. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I never ever really feel like clapping like, at the oh, end of these films, to be honest. The end, and I felt like it just, it was you the they'll, end. Did you feel like they were forcing it on before you? Before like, it got to the dance it's series, like they want you to dance and god damn it i'm not i'm not i'm not clapping because uh, they're making me do it okay so yeah we were at that last part um it's pretty much a rap party credits go our uh, role and then we get into the mid-credits scene which is the new guardians consisting of rocket fully grown groot cosmo craglin adam filler which is a brand new character we don't know the little girl yeah and I thought you literally said filler, like she's a filler character. Uh, yeah, filler. Yeah, maybe she was a filler character. And blurp. Can't remember who that one. Uh, Ashon, little dog, maybe? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. No, the little dog is Cosmo. Cosmo. Uh, no, no, Ashon, the uh, warlock's dog. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, Ashon undergoing a new mission on Kryla. So, yeah, another slow-mo scene of them just running away. Uh, running away, running towards the camera, and they're going to defeat this whole race. It definitely felt like a... These guys, like, you know, it's definitely like a moving-on scene. And, and this is, again, like, kind of shot-for-shot shot Thor 4, right? Mm. You know how yeah. Thor 4, he, he's like, he gives her Mjolnir, he's got Stormbreaker, the little, the, the baby, like yeah. uh, Christian Bale's child. That's right. And they're like, okay, we're going to do a mission now. Ha! And then you kind of get a sense from watching that. It's like, okay, now these people are going to live their lives and be happy. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of like, yeah, sure. Wasn't that excited about that scene. And then we get into the post credit scene uh, where Quill reconnects with his grandfather. Very, very nice, nice little scene. I loved this scene, um, actually. It's very cool. Uh, sitting, sitting in the uh, a kitchen, I guess, you know, yeah. and he's eating cereal. It's a cool little scene. Um but the thing that got me most excited, though, most, most excited, and this was a shock, and this was their way of announcing that Peter Quill is coming back. Oh, yeah, that's right. Star Wars Return. Yeah, they mm. say that. Star I wasn't that Return. jazzed about it. I was just like, oh, cool. Oh, I mean, that was a shock because we just all assumed that every single Guardians was just finished, especially Peter Quill. Uh, we just thought that Peter yeah. Quill was going to be done with the MCU, but it's pretty, pretty awesome. That just him by himself. Yeah, well, we don't we don't know. Everyone else is a bit of a question mark. I think it's one hundred percent confirmed that um, Dave Bautista is done, done with the MCU. Oh, he doesn't want anymore. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, he's just like, he mentioned in an interview saying that, like, look, man, I'm old, man. <laughs> he's, like, he's already like 50 now, I think. Yeah, right? he's like, man, I'm old, I can't do this anymore, and like, it's gotta, gotta make way for everyone else, you know, I love my time in the MCU, and so, yeah, he was sort of talking almost. Um, like it finished. Yeah, like he's he's done. So, uh, the rest of the characters, I mean, Gamora is probably obviously coming back. Um, they're probably going to reunite that story as well. Maybe Gamora mm. and Quill. And I would love to see that. I don't know which movies are going to show up in, especially Quill. I was trying to think about which movies will he appear in. He would get like um, a spinoff? Like a well, Lord. There, there are there are like three, I think, three projects in in, uh, in Phase 6 that are un, like untitled. Yeah. So okay. it could be one of those. It could be a Peter Quill spinoff. Not spinoff, but, you know, Peter Quill I don't think or, he should get a spin-off personally. I think like Well it's not no, I mean these are not spin-offs, right? They're just a part of the MCUs. But um No, but I think like uh his own vehicle. I don't I don't think that's my personal Like opinion. a solo film, you mean? Yeah, I don't think he should get one. Mm. I don't know. Uh, it, it really depends on who's gonna direct it and who writes it. It could be good. It could be good, don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah okay. But I do yeah. I do want to see him again in uh the final Avengers films. Like I do want to see him in in Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars. Yeah, I don't um, know who's going to be in those. Like, yeah. Well, they have to figure out whether they want to keep um, Jonathan Majors as Kang, though. <laughs> it's so like that's so hard. Like, I I, I feel sorry for them. <laughs> that's so crazy. In a way, because like he did some pretty that was some pretty bad stuff. Well, I mean, it's all alleged stuff. Like, we don't even know what's true or what's what's false. Oh yeah, I guess so. I mean, the yeah, videos yeah, are great. Yeah. Oh, I haven't seen any videos. I didn't even know there was any videos. I'm pretty sure, I think, yeah, I watched something. Okay, I don't want to get into that anyway. But yeah, so yeah. cool. This is a good film. Yeah, this is a good film. Um, Peter Quill is going to be back. And yeah, that, that is our end of our recap. I want to talk about the, the, the post-credit scene. I just enjoyed the fact that it's just, like, it could have been entirely improvised, right? Like, it's just, you think this guy has come from space, he comes back home, and it's going to be, like, talking about space crap all the time, and, and you know, it's been such a long time. But then you hear him, and it's like, man, why am I mowing the lawn? You know, this guy's 40 years old, he can do it. Like, <laughs> weird. The grandpa's like, oh, don't get me started. And it's like, oh, yeah? I want to hear about this. And then just quietly just hearing chewing noises. Like, it's just... <laughs> This, it's good. It's very human, I think. Yeah, yeah it's a very human sort of like it's like curb your enthusiasm type of conversation. Yeah, I just really yeah. enjoyed how mundane it was. That's good. That's very very good. Uh, I I yeah. love uh, Chris Pratt. I think he's great. I want to see him in more and more shit. Like, he's such a good. Really, actor. it's kind of interesting. I like him a lot in certain things, and I dislike him in other things. Like mm. I don't think he's great in like Jurassic Park. Well, I, I just think those movies aren't great, though. I think he's good in those movies for what he's given for the character that he's he's written it's like i think all of them do uh um fine for their characters i just, I just think the Jurassic park movies are not written very well yeah maybe maybe that's the case because like, i feel like he's like really good at comedy right like yeah. parson wreck is great in that uh guys of the galaxy so comedic he's really good at that and then he's done a couple of things where he's like trying to be a much more straight-laced action guy like the amazon film about time travel hmm He's not great at that, and maybe like he's not great at that, or it's not a great film. I don't know where I want to put that distinction. Uh, but I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, it's it's fine. Like it's it, it's fine. But I think he's sort of like in the Ryan Reynolds camp of True. if you take away comedy, what else do they have? Kind of thing. Yeah, kind kind of like why would you hire these guys to not do comedy? Yeah, there are people on this planet who are much much better at the other thing. <laughs> 
Well, yeah. have the body for but, it, but, for it. but at the same time, you know, I think some of these actors like Chris Pratt and like Yoran Reynolds, they're trying to, you know, they're, they're trying to like see what other skills they have. You know, I don't think Ryan Reynolds is trying. I think he knows where he's good at, and he's sticking <laughs> he's firmly in that spot. And I love him for it. Yeah, like Steve Carell, right? Steve Carell has always been known as a an amazing comedian. Yeah, he does great drama, but he's like, mean. man, he's awesome in some awesome dramas. Like, um, I think he's awesome in. Uh, what but he did drama early on too. Like, uh, there's one movie where he's just this this depressed middle aged man. No, that's a comedy. That's called Forty Eight Old Virgin. <laughs> no, not that one. A different one. <laughs> uh, it, he's in Miss Sunshine too, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. A, that's a heavy drama. But he's awesome in uh, what do you call it? In, is it News Wars or something like that? Oh, the news, the news, Morning there. Wars. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Oh man, I wanted to get into that. I couldn't. I uh, couldn't. I watched like maybe three or four eps, and um, I. This is gonna sound bad. You just didn't like Jennifer Aniston. Eh? No, it's not about <laughs> that. Like I don't dislike Jennifer Aniston particularly. I just found every character was hysterical and it was difficult like the reason why i hate the word saying they're hysterical because there's definitely a lot of female leads and people always call females hysterical right and i don't really want to get into that but like <laughs> the jennifer Aniston's character was a little bit like uh, over dramatic and 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 made decisions that were not intelligent same as reese with the spoon's character same as steve carell's character like it wasn't like just a female trait i just felt like every character overreacted made poor decisions it was difficult for me to watch mm. yeah that's fair all right um Back to this, your rating yes. out of 10. I like this film a lot. I don't think my rating's going to be the same as yours. 10 out of 10. I want to give it like a 9. <laughs> like, I liked it. 9. All right. Good. I really okay. had a fun time. It's fun for the family. Um, there are some missteps, and I think they're easy to overlook. Um, the movie doesn't let a lot of things breathe, but it's a comedy casual film and I don't think it's hurt by that. Like when films try to be serious, then I judge it with a different lens, I think. Um, this Ooh. film, I judge it as kind of a comedy and I think it's very good as a comedy mm. with action elements. Like so yeah, it. nine. All right, that's fair. For me, it is a eight out of 10. Hey, that's higher than I thought. Mm. Based on your, uh, your WhatsApp message. <laughs> Dude, you're the worst. You're like the ultimate hyperbole. <laughs> yeah. You write, You actually have a new definition for hyperbole. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Um, um, yeah, it's 8 out of 10. Yeah, I think it deserves an 8 out of 10. Uh, I don't think it's quite deserving of like a 5 or a 7 or anything like that. I've seen some people give, give it way, way lower ratings. I don't think it deserves that. Would you, so you would give it lower than 1? Because I actually thought about this quite heavily because I was um, talking to a friend and they're saying, like, you know, what's what's the best one? And I actually find it hard to say that three is not the best one. I actually thought three might be the best one. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, you enjoyed it a lot. Um, you enjoyed it a lot more than I did. But the enjoyment and satisfaction that I get from volume one doesn't match volume three, unfortunately. And I think it just comes down to a lot of those contrived points of the film. Mm. It comes down to a lot of that. A lot of, like, really strange decisions for some of the characters. Um and then the ending just didn't have that kind of hoorah ending with fireworks. It didn't did have, one that. have that. One had it did. It was it was just such a because when he says like we're the guardians and mm. they fly off, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. It just has such a um, solid wrap up to it. The film is tight. It's a very very tight film. It's like just below two hours. It's very cool. efficient. Um, I love it. And in that two hour, 
in that two hours, I learned so much about the characters, learned so much about their motivations. And you didn't learn about Rocket's backstory, though. No, no, no. But like, I didn't know that that's something we wanted. You didn't need to, you know. I and it. I still don't know if that's something, uh, like, I I want. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I need that. Um, you lagged again. Your internet's like yeah. bugging out. <laughs> I think it's meant to be great, man. It's like it's it's a very big, it's a very high plan. Oh, okay. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I don't know if we needed that kind of backstory from all those characters, like from what we learn from the characters and the way they interact in the dialogue, because because the, the the best thing about these characters is the rich dialogue, like the scripting from James Gunn is perfect. Right? See, you say that, but I would love a 300 style Drax um, prologue story. Oh, I would love that, too. Yeah. Where he, like, can you imagine like a scene where he's like leading his people against, is it Thanos? It's Thanos, yeah. Mm. And he's like real heroic and he's destroying a bunch of shit. They ultimately lose, but it's like a tragic loss. Mm. And then he's like lost in a spaceship somewhere. Man, yeah. that'd be cool. Like I would like that as a spinoff or something. You know, we don't need that kind of stuff in the Guardians franchise because there's so many characters, um, and and you would probably just do. Um, you won't do any justice to the other characters if one character just has to get it, you know? I know what you mean. Like, Guardians 4, and it's just heavily Drax, you'd probably be annoyed. Yeah. Like, for Groot to... Uh, sorry, for, not Groot, but for Rocket to get the special treatment of all that backstory, it's nice. It's nice that they could use that as a utility for Volume 3. Otherwise, mm-hmm. what else would they have done in Volume 3? Who knows? I have no idea. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, do you feel like he took a lot of shine from the other characters? Like, because he literally is well, the point, right? yeah, but that and that's that's where it's a little, it's it's a little kind of sad because the other characters don't get that same treatment. I actually feel like we got way more backstory from Rocket than we did with Peter Quill, and Peter Quill's like the main actor. <laughs> I disagree with that. Like, two is Quill's. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, two, two, two is that. Okay, so maybe Peter Quill is not the not a good example, but. Um, Gamora yeah. gets it through Infinity War. Like Thanos' story is her story. Yeah, essentially. but that but they get that through other MCU films, not the yeah. not the Guardians franchise. You know. Yeah, I mean, I I I don't, I don't care as much about like using screen time of this title to do a specific thing. Like, I feel like Gamora is a well fleshed out character because of how we got her story. Now, whether we got that story through different titled pieces of media doesn't really bother me. Mm. Yeah, I mean that's just my view though. Yeah, but it's it's just the fact that you have one character that gets to have that, and amongst like all the other guardians. It's... But realistically though, he was kind of the only character that didn't have a background because Gamora got it through other means. Peter Quill got it from Marvel from Guardians of the Galaxy two. Groot didn't get it. Groot yeah, yeah. It. But that but that's my point is like you, you can't do that kind of stuff in a franchise with like five plus people, five, five mm. plus characters, right? You can only tell so much. Um, and if you do that, maybe just do it in other forms by other means or whatever. But were you one of those people that actually like was curious about Rocket's backstory? Like I was. I've always been like, why is there a raccoon that's really smart with guns? Not really. Yeah, like, okay. it, it, I... it's kind of what makes the Guardians like fun and special is that there's this mystique nature about them. But do you know because you know the comic books? No, I don't. I don't, oh, I don't okay. know these characters at all. Like in the comics. Oh, okay. Because, like, to me, the re- a part of why I really like this movie was that it kind of scratched that specific itch for me. Because I felt like, okay, I know Quill. I know Gamora. I know Drax is, you know, war-hungry, fighty guy who lost his wife and kids. Like, th- you don't get a whole movie about it, but I kind of have enough. Whereas Rocket is literally, like, 
he just tells people what he's not, right? They, they all call him a raccoon, and he's like, I'm not a raccoon. That's all you get. So it was kind of an itch for me to understand more about him. Mm. Yeah, I, Whereas, I guess it sounds like you didn't you didn't share that. Yeah, I get that, but I, I don't know if I care about that. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I, I'm not really that curious about that. Like, I, I just like the Guardians as they are. If we learn backstory of them, then that's great. But what so makes... The, what makes the ensemble cool, it's like an Avengers film. The Avengers film, mm. um, we don't learn about the characters' backstories in the Avengers films. It's really about the situation they're in and how they interact with each other. But that's because they get those other vehicles. They get their solo films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But th- but that's the same point that I'm trying to make for the Guardians of the Galaxy because you have five-plus characters in there, right? Yeah, because... You, You're you, saying you don't want to use the Galaxy as a vehicle to tell a backstory. You do, yeah, you don't need to have the franchise to tell all these backstories. We learn about these characters through their interactions with each other. Um, do we... Like, th- there'll be another director and writer out there that'll be able to do the same thing and not have to tap into what a backstory of Peter Quill is or a backstory of Rocket because the, the story is about the team coming together as an ensemble fighting something big whatever that's the whole point mm. of like team up films so i didn't i didn't need to have backstories of these characters if the if the franchise turned into like a fast and furious then yeah. great we have way more time to tell more stories with characters absolutely but this is a trilogy a classic trilogy right i i get it but at the same time i don't like i feel like when you say the term like group up film team up film you're implying that like um there is a set of people who are otherwise separate and then they team up. And so you don't want to use precious team up time to explore each of these people individually, but that's not the case here. You, you like you only ever see them in, in teamed up mode. Mm-hmm. Like it's not like there is a rack rocket film and a star Lord film. And then you're like, man, I'm so excited. They're finally getting together in the guardians film. Like, yeah, but that's like what I only yeah. vehicle for. Them. Yeah. And, and that's what I don't care about. Like I, I don't, I don't need to have their backstory. <laughs> I don't need to know right, everything about okay. them. Like I don't. Uh, but clearly, James Gunn hadn't had a plan to tell the backstory for Peter Quill, so that could be that is that's what his sequel to Volume One is going to be. It could have been written something else. It could have just been another quest, the same way they did Volume One. You know. So. Yeah, I, I feel like if it was like just three quests, I would don't think I would have liked these movies as much. I feel like learning about the characters is what makes you care about their quips and their interactions and mm. stuff, right? Like, I to be fair, I didn't like number two as much, but um, I don't think I'm worse off knowing about how Peter Quill became Peter Quill. Mm. But, like, I, I love uh, um, Nebula, but we, we don't know much about her at all. Like, but we just know about her, like, um, and her interactions with um, Guardians of the Galaxy and Avengers. See, I feel with her, you get backstory just via Gamora's story. Like, I think we know her quite well. She is literally other Gamora, the one who loses all the time, and her dad picked her apart. Mm. Mm. Yeah, but but that's that's done in a way that she's that doesn't tell us a backstory at all. It's it's done in this in the example that I m- mentioned, which is just all character interactions all throughout these films. Yeah, I guess it's like the key difference here is that like she talks about it all the time, whereas mm. Rocket doesn't. Yeah, so they had to find a way to explore it, which allowed Rocket to continually. Yeah, not talk part of about his it. stubbornness is just not talking about his his, yeah. his past, and they wanted to explore that. But yeah, yeah, but yeah. Okay, it just sense. I didn't really care for it. <laughs> I don't care. We saw <laughs> so it. in that okay. case. Great. It sounds like we're lucky. You got an eight. <laughs> well, it's it's like uh, that's 
the story is the way that it is for volume three. And you have to criticize the story for what it is and not for what it should be. Yeah, I know. But like, if you're sitting here and you're saying like, this is a film where the core premise of the story you didn't care about and you still gave it an eight, like that's, that's pretty good, I guess. <laughs> no, because I, I think the eight comes from everything else that's good in the film. Yeah, okay. remember, like if you if you remove the all the flashback sequences, you have everything else that's quite good, but still you have a shallow storyline. It's a shallow storyline without the flashbacks for sure. Like the weight of we're trying to kill this guy because uh, our friend doesn't like him and he's kind of a maniac. I mean, it's there are worse villains out there, like pre um, Todd Snyder version of Justice League. Zach that was Snyder? the worst villain. Zach. What I call him? Jack? John? Todd. Todd. Yeah, I don't know his name that well. Zach. Zach. Anyway, yeah, like that dude. Who was that guy? <laughs> you told me, right? Like the, the version, the Zack Snyder version is actually quite good at explaining his, oh, his motive. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, you mean um, Justice League? Yeah, the cut. The Snyder cut? Yeah, that's yeah. an awesome movie. You should really watch so, it. Like, the bad guy actually gets a little bit of motive? Yeah. Yeah, the... Okay, yeah, brilliant. Steppenwolf like, is written so different. Like it's the whole movie is a completely different film from the 2017 one. Like wow. it's, it's nowhere near the same. Nowhere. Near I hated it. Yeah, like I, everyone hated it. I need a villain that like has a reason, man. Like I need a reason. Everyone hated it, but um, man, the Justice League, the Snyder Cut is infinitely better than. It's I'm right. I'm shocked. Like by the time you finish watching it. Or even like while you're watching it, we're a year older. <laughs> yeah, no, no. But wh- while you're watching it, you'll be shocked at how different it is from, from it. You'd you'd think like, how did that other movie even exist? Like, it feels like a parallel dimension. Do you think it's like a negative on him as a filmmaker that he couldn't do it in in less than four hours? Um. Well, he actually wanted to make two films, so he decided to actually oh. just expand it to to a four hour film. Uh, his whole his whole pitch to Warner Brothers was to make uh, three Justice League films. Yeah. And he couldn't do that. It just uh, Warner Brothers were kind of like, no. <laughs> they just said, you can't yeah. do that. Um, and because you've, you're going on a little bit of hiatus, because we understand you're grieving your daughter, you have to leave the production, and that's why we have to get Joss Whedon in, and we're going to completely veto the entire production and make all the choices ourselves. <laughs> mm. That's what they did. Warner Brothers completely screwed them over. Um, and like right now he's kind of like, oh, whatever. I, I don't care that much about like what Warner Brothers done, but yeah, you know, I got to, I got to tell the movie. I got to show the movie that I really wanted to, even though it wasn't on a mass audience, uh, commercial, um, exposure the same way that it was like, you know, through normal distribution. But, yeah, how do you, how do you get it now? Is it, is it so HBO? Warner Brothers, yeah, Warner Brothers used their subsidiary company, HBO Max to okay. fund the, to to fund him for uh, finishing off the film. Oh, he got the actors back in. He got the actors back in, and he finished off the film because he he didn't finish it. Ah, uh, I didn't. Yeah. Do it. I thought it was like all like just old footage. No, well, a lot of it was old footage, but he got the actors yeah. back in, so he had a budget of eleven million dollars to finish it. Hmm. He increases the runtime by like two hours or an hour and a half. Yeah, I mean, I think I think he says something like he already had the film, like. Uh, the timeline of the film, well, the runtime of the film, already 
planned out. And it was yeah. a very long film. Like he said, it was going to be about five hours, but he was going to break it up into three. I'm surprised he pulled it off with 11 mil. Like to get these people back in, did they just feel like a... They were excited to go back. The actors oh. were really upset with how the whole production turned out when Joss Whedon uh, came in. Okay, so when he gave them a chance, they took it, they, they, they got paid uh, off. Yeah, I mean, dude, they were part of the whole uh, online protest, okay. dude. Yeah, we were talking okay. about Jason Momoa and... Um, uh, what's Cyborg's name? Can't remember his name, but he's a forgettable real life dude. Anyway, like both them two, <laughs> both them two were were leading the charge. Well, not leading the charge, but yeah, they were part of the charge. <laughs> yeah. they, were, they were posting all over Instagram and Instagram stories. They released the Snyder Cut. Released the Snyder Cut. They were all part of that man. Damn. Um, okay. At the time when they said release the Snyder Cut, the Snyder Cut wasn't filmed yet. No, no, they hadn't. No, because they, they they were just they spent two years like this whole campaign, this whole, whole fan online campaign was two years completely. So they're saying release the Snyder Cut when the Snyder Cut didn't exist. What, what? Well, because there was there was a cut that existed, but it wasn't ready. <laughs> um, yeah, like there was there was there was a whole bunch of footage that they didn't use in the 2017 one. Wait, you should say goodbye to the people. I feel like <laughs> we're just talking about no, Justice League. All right, um, two hours and twenty minutes. I know. Uh, let us know your thoughts on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, <laughs> and uh, place in the comments. You know, would love to hear your feedback. Would also like to hear uh, what are some of the films or TV series that you'd like us to talk about. If you want to hear us talk about the stuff for like over two hours, um, <laughs> we'd like to. Is it really like, over two hours? Like, what is it? What are we at now? Yeah, two hours seventeen. Oof. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Sorry, everyone. But it's okay. Um, thank you for, for dropping in, and we hope you enjoyed this review and recap of Guardians Volume 3. Um, the next MTU film to come out is... I actually can't remember. I think Secret of Invasion is coming out soon. That's on Disney Plus TV series. Who is... Ah, uh, that's unrelated, right? It's not part of the phases or whatever. No, it is. Oh, okay, cool. All the Disney Plus stuff is... Everything's part of it. It's canon. It's all nah, part of it. The, 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 the werewolf one wasn't. The werewolf one? No, it is part of the canon. Oh, yeah, but not in, like, Phase 4, right? There's not going to be, like, a werewolf. Well, I, I don't know when that character's going to pop up again. We don't know. but Okay. But it's, it's right. part of the canon. Like, uh, Kim Feige's already spoken about it. Dude's in black and white. What do you mean? Like, <laughs> It turns to colour at the end. Did you forget? <laughs> I did. <laughs> it turns yeah, into colour at the end. Oh, right. Oh, come on. <laughs> All right. Oh, man. All right. Um, we'll we'll catch everybody again. Thank you, Tony. We'll catch you again uh, sometime soon. Same place, same time. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye.